Welcome everyone to episode three of season three of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shrout. This is the first of three single topic episodes I plan to record over this month and the next, and I think maybe our fifth overall single topic episode after the movies, music, and two soccer ones. So I'd like to thank our top Patreon subscriber, Darren Monk, and all the other Patreon supporters, Adam Hahn, Christine Welchel, Andrew Darby, Ben Rothenberg, Patrick Friel, Jeremy Horwitz, Dargan Ware, Anthony Garino, Adam Villani, Peter Broda, David Croissant, Mike Jesiorski, Tim Robert Gomez, Rene Carignan, The Soccer Thread Podcast, David Glasser, Henry Springer, Marnie Helfrich, Caroline Rothney, Jack Russo, Anonymous. I actually know who Anonymous is, but they only listed themselves as Anonymous, so I'll respect that. Spencer Burnett McGrath, Forrest Lightheart, and Greg Faino. To anyone listening, your name could go here. Feel free to sign up at patreon.com slash recreational thinking. Our guests today are Michael Rankins, Dave Ross, and Nikhil Soneja. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so remember that order is arbitrary, but it'll be consistent throughout the game. So now in that order, if each of you could briefly state where you're Zooming from and approximately one sentence about yourself, starting with Michael. Hi, I'm Michael Rankins. I am in beautiful downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. I am a writer, voice actor, and comic book reader of over half a century. Wow. All right, Dave? My name is Dave Ross. I live in Hillsborough, Oregon, which is a suburb of Portland been a Batman fan since I was probably four or five years old, about as long as I can remember. I work for a big healthcare company called Kaiser Permanente. I'm an avid competitive long distance runner. At age 55, if I'm not injured, I'm still pretty competitive for my age on the local running scene. Yeah. And I've been to his house. He has quite a bit of Batman themed decor. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And Nikhil. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Nikhil. I'm uh, Nikhil Saneja from Dubai, UAE. So I guess I'm probably dialing from the furthest out, dialing in from the furthest out. Uh, yeah, but I've also been a comic book fan all my life and specifically Batman like Dave. So uh, it's good to see kindred spirits there in that sense. But yeah, definitely looking forward to this. And yeah, I'm not I'm not like one of the polybag collecting uh, comic books. I'm the one who, one of those guys who reads them end to end and gets them dog-eared. So yeah, but I've been doing that for a while now. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. And I, th- I don't think I explicitly said it. So for the benefit of listeners, this is a entirely DC Comics themed episode. Yes. I will. Yes. I may end up doing a Marvel one, maybe even an MCU one in the future. But yeah, right now we're focusing on DC for this game. So this game's in four rounds, one individual, three specialists. The first I call the three R's round. It allows, well, because it's supposed to allow me to reduce, reuse, and recycle prime material. Not sure I'll be doing that here. But these questions mostly serve as a warm-up in scare quotes, not because they're easy, but just to kind of throw you in at the deep end and get your mind thinking, get used to my question writing style. They'll also be worth a tenth of a point as tiebreakers if necessary. Very rarely been necessary, but that's an option if it is needed. So for this round only, you will answer as individuals. Everyone will answer as individuals. So if the first person the question is directed at misses, it'll go to the second. Then the third, if the first two both miss. So the further back you are, the less of a direct shot you have, but you have some more time to think and potential answers could get taken off the table. And we'll rotate to each of you guys to answer three questions in first position, three in second, three in third. Then the rules will change after this round. I'll explain that when it happens. I'll also remind everyone of the Jimmy Lee rule, quote unquote, which is basically to discourage you from passing. You have to give an answer to a question or give a reason that you don't want to give an answer for it. You can't just pass. And just a general reminder, the content of the podcast is you talking through your thinking process. So don't internalize your thinking. Feel free to share any interesting connections or thoughts that you have. There's no need to talk for the sake of talking, though. We don't need filler. And I will be copying and pasting the text of each question into the chat. So with that out of the way, we will begin the first question with Michael. You ready? Yep. 
All right. Let's start with a question about one of the best DC shows currently on the air and one of the best portrayals of a competent therapist in TV history, Harley Quinn. The recent Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, features John Stamos voicing what rhyme-loving demon, who is not, in this case, accompanied by Jason Blood. All right, we're going to start with we're going to start with the challenging one here. Jason Blood demons. That sounds vaguely familiar. Let's go with Etragon. So, do you do you want to say anything more about Etragon? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yes, I mean, in terms, at least from what I read, that does seem to be the demon who accompanies Jason Blood. Jason Blood is not actually portrayed in that Harley Quinn episode, so it's kind of without context who Etrigan is and why he's doing all this rhyming. But yes, that is the correct answer. Nicely done. Maybe right. the only one I get. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of doubt that. Uh, Etrigan's right. a very fun character. <laughs> yeah, the rhyming apart, the whole, you know, Arthurian thing is also fun. <laughs> Yeah. Again, these questions aren't meant to be connected, but sometimes one will kind of flow into another. So Returning... yeah, avoid giving too much info. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm just, I was saying that because like, I'm going to mention Harley Quinn again, but there's not like some big chain connecting all of these with a common theme. It's just, uh, uh -huh. yeah. All right. So though most of their honors have come for Abbott Elementary, my favorite sitcom from Harley Quinn executive producers Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher is the short-lived Powerless. And again, this question is for Dave first. So Alan Tudyk, who voices Joker, Clayface, and several other villains on Harley Quinn, co-starred in Powerless as a character known by what three-letter first name? First appearing in Batman number 148 in June 1962, this character is consistently portrayed as wanting to impress his more famous cousin. Mm, familiar with the name Alan Tudyk, three-letter name, a character. So, so far I'm already stumped on both of these first two questions. Not yeah. even familiar. I'm going to throw out SOS. All right. Not even familiar with the character. Yeah, but, you know, in keeping with the, the Jimmy Lee rule, you at least made a guess. That's good. So pass now to Nikhil. Yeah, I'm just stumped. And you, you said it's a Batman character from the comics in 1962. Oh, okay. With a famous cousin as well. Usually when I think of cousins, it's it's something that crosses over between, because at that time they used to try to do Batman and Superman equivalents. And there was like a Batman family and a Superman family. I'm just wondering if three letters that does not. Oh, this would probably be the the dog, the bat hound. Ace is that Ace the bat hound? No, but that, I mean that's a good guess. I'm, uh, oh. good you were able to come up with a guess, but that's not correct, unfortunately. That's not correct. So pass to Michael. Well, when I think about cousins, I usually think about marriage in Mississippi, but that's probably not <laughs> relevant to this question. I'm just going to throw out the first three letter name that came up, and let's go with Bob. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this, I guess, a character who maybe isn't, I guess, not that well-known to comics fans. And I don't know if he ever even reappeared after that sort of 1962 appearance, but they dug him up to, I guess, anchor this show in the world of comics. Um, huh. But yeah, his, uh, I guess, full name is Vanderweer, Vanderweer Wayne, but he was called Van, V-A-N. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, very funny performance, but I think... I think all the other characters on that show were original to the show. So they just plucked one out to kind of anchor it in the comics and to, to give him a motivation to sort of, because he's, he's very, he's portrayed as sort of, he's the head of the company, but he's also kind of in awe of Bruce Wayne, his cousin. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're doing there. So, so the interesting thing is in 1960, okay, that was just before the TV show, but they invented a few that like crossed over back from the TV show, right? So I was just thinking that they were interesting ones in the 60s, interesting times. <laughs> Yeah, I think in the the 
article or the thing I read online, it pointed out that Batman couldn't really have a first cousin, I guess, based on what we know about his family tree. So cousin is kind of, uh, who knows, cousin once removed, second cousin, something. All right. So Nikhil nice. now in first first position on this. In The Jokes on Catwoman, a 1968 episode of the Batman TV series, Catwoman's unethical attorney Lucky Pierre is played by what man just a few years after he finished his interim term as a U.S. senator from California? This former presidential press secretary helped manage Robert Kennedy's 1968 presidential campaign and was present when RFK was shot. Shaken by the assassination, he left the U.S. and settled in his mother's native country, France. Hmm. This is a real-life individual, just in case that's not clear. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Just going by Lucky Pierre, I mean, that's a clue. And you mentioned RFK, although I associate him probably more with JFK, and I don't know. Well, you said former presidential press secretary, so that narrows it down. Is it Pierre Salinger? Pierre Salinger, yes. He was press secretary to JFK and LBJ. And briefly, I think Claire Engel passed away or something like that. He, he filled in as an interim U.S. senator and I think ran for re-election, but wow. didn't win. Yes, Pierre Salinger is correct. All right. So now back to Michael on this question. With a varied CV that includes directing everything from V, the 80s miniseries, Sherlock Holmes Returns, and the unfortunately brown-face-heavy Short Circuit 2, to the Disney Channel original movies Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century, and Don't Look Under the Bed, whose superhero-related credits include creating the bionic woman and helming Steel, a vehicle for Shaquille O'Neal, and one of the few DC superhero feature films of the 20th century to not revolve around Batman or Superman. Oh, wow. Okay. Trying to think who this would be. I remember the Bionic Woman. In fact, I've met Lindsay Wagner once in a comic book convention. Steel, of course, was the thing that Shaquille O'Neal was in when he wasn't playing a, a genie that was previously played by Sinbad, as everybody well remembers. Yes, and Shazam, um, Shazam, of course. Yeah. I'm trying to think who this person would be. I'm sure this is not right, but it's the only name that's coming to my mind. I'm going to say Glenn Larson. All right. Yeah, he was a creator, I think, of Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Mag Magnum mm -hmm. PI, Quincy, maybe had something to do with as well. Oh, well, yeah, right era, but not the correct answer. So this will pass to Dave. Absolutely no idea in this one either. Although I, Lindsay Wagner was my first crush as a young man. As well she should have been. First, first television crush before I think Linda Carter and Wonder Woman, right around that same era. But yeah, mm, really, I really don't have any idea on this one. Comic related movies that weren't, God, I don't know. And I know it's going to be wrong, but I'm just going to say Joel Schumacher. All right. So decent guess, but not Ooh. correct. Nikhil? Wow, that's quite a resume. I was, I feel like I should know this. I mean, Steel was a big deal at the time. You know, we were starved for movies and there's a lot of hype, but unfortunately, and of course, Steel was an interesting character from the, in the comics also because of the whole Superman death thing. Mm. Wow, I cannot. With F. Gary Gray. <laughs> That's just right, the, yeah. from the timing. <laughs> yeah, I think when I first read about it, I think I, I wrote something on my blog about it being like the only DC superhero movie of the 20th century to not be Batman or Superman or within their universe. And David Plotkin pointed out to me that there were two movies based on Swamp Thing. And I was yeah. like, oh, one thing was a superhero. I guess I just assumed it was well, a monster. It was monstrous. straight to TV also, I think. So, yeah. 
maybe i think yeah. i feel like at least one of them may have been theatrical but um yeah but possibly yeah, I, the first one yeah i didn't even know that was a, a superhero i was like that sounds more like a monster to me but <laughs> obviously i'm not into the whole genre but, more so yeah yeah <laughs> something but, yeah I, one of the reasons i put in the jimmy rule again is just you know encourage people to guess even even if you know if it's asking at a person even guess a generic surname so this man's name was kenneth johnson Ah, oh. See, I associate him with more with the Incredible Hulk TV show. Yeah, he did huh. work on that, but he is, I think, credited with creating the character of Jamie Summers. Yeah, huh. cool. You know, I think there was a Kenny Johnson who played the Flash in. I don't know if that was Kenny Johnson or it could be Johnston mm. who played the Flash in one of those. Uh, it was a, a never purchased pilot of the Justice League back in the nineties. I digress. Obviously, <laughs> it's a common enough name, but. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So Dave in first position on this. It's kind of a long question, but it's it's mainly just most of that is flavor text, but you'll see the actual question at the end. The third and final story arc within the 1992-93 storyline, The Death of Superman, is called Reign of the Supermen. In homage to The Reign of the Superman, a story published in an illustrated fanzine in 1933, so five years before uh, Superman debuted, by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. They would later reuse the epithet Superman in a more famous context, but in this case, it refers to Bill Dunn, a Depression-era hobo who was given superpowers by a mad scientist, only to realize that once the powers wear off, he will be just another forgotten man in the breadline. So here's the question. The term Superman, which influenced not only Siegel and Schuster, but also George Bernard Shaw's 1903 play Man and Superman, is thought to derive from which 1883 work? God, this is a complex question. I'm again, I'm lost again. I, Georgia, man, it's your man, 1883. I want to say it refers to the term, something having to do with Atlas, but not sure the, the, the exact title I'm looking for here. You think you have Atlas Shrugged? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, <laughs> Atlas Shrugged. Right. Yeah, so that's, but yeah, that, right. that's what I'm going with. There All right, go. uh, good guess, but not correct. Nikhil? Fairly sure there was a term, Ubermensch, in a work by Nietzsche, and I'm just trying to think which one to go with, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to go with the wrong era there. Was this also Sprach Zarathustra? Yeah, so the term is generally thought to be sort of a translation of Ubermensch, which is, although now often translated as something like Overman or... Right. It's not always translated the same way, but yes, I mean, that is a term associated with the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, and it was first used in 1883 in Thus Spoke Zarathustra, or also Sprach Zarathustra. So yeah, that's correct. Nice. All right. So now I believe Nikhil in first position on this question. Again, you're all, I mean, most of your topics were all kind of comics related. So for this round, I kind of looked outside the comics a bit for inspiration. Nice. So Superman made it to Broadway in the 1966 flop musical, <laughs> It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. The closest thing to a standard that came out of the score by Lee Adams and Charles Strauss is You've Got Possibilities, sung by a secretary named Sidney with an unrequited crush on Clark Kent. Who originated the role of Sidney on Broadway? A decade later, she would find her greatest success with a long-running sitcom role that earned her a 1979 Emmy nod and had previously won an Oscar for a different actress. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just scrolling up. 66. I have vague memories from childhood of seeing a TV version of this. Uh, <laughs> we start for comic book content, so in the 80s, I possibly. But I think I should probably focus more on the second part. Hmm. Oh, boy. So, okay, I'm, think, I'm, I'm guessing an Oscar for a different actress is probably Ellen Burstyn for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. 
So I'm guessing this is Alice's restaurant, but I'm sure I'm mixing up the actresses again. Is it Valerie Harper? It is not. So without saying anything further, I will just pass this to um, Michael. Yeah, Nikhil had everything there correct, but the, the name of the actor. We're looking for Linda Lavin. Ah, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, I so, wouldn't have got to that. Yeah. You were perfectly right. Every Everything else you said was right on the money. Yeah. So there's a couple. So Alice's Restaurant was a 1969 movie based on a song technically called Alice's Restaurant Massacre, but usually shortened to Alice's Restaurant. That's unrelated to Robert Getchell's screenplay for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which was a 1974 movie directed by young Martin Scorsese. That won the Oscar for Ellen Burstyn and a couple years later was adapted to a TV series where Alice was played by, as Michael said, Linda Lavin. Nice. Mel's Diner. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my grits. You said that? <laughs> Mel, the cook on Alice. Yeah, so the, the TV adaptation you were thinking of, Nikhil, came out in 1975. It starred someone named David Wilson as Superman. One of my favorites, Leslie Ann Warren, speaking of early childhood yes, crushes. Was, I do uh, remember her. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Lois Lane. And I had to look up who played Sydney. It actually is someone who is relatively well-known, Loretta Swit. Uh, oh, well, from MASH, yeah. Yep, Hot Lips from MASH. All right, so again... And this is starting with Michael, again, another sort of follow-up or, or following on from the same subject matter. The aforementioned 1966 Superman musical, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, got Tony nominations for three cast members, Patricia Morand, Michael O'Sullivan, and what three-time Columbo villain and patriarch of an acting dynasty who earned a Best Actor in a Musical nod for playing Clark's Daily Planet rival, Max Menken, in that production. This man's granddaughter would later spend several years portraying a DC comic superheroine. Oh, wow. Okay. Patriarch of an acting dynasty earned a best actor in a musical nod for playing Clark's daily plant rival Max Mankin. Wow. Okay. Well, that's not getting me anywhere. So I'm going to have to focus on this man's granddaughter spending several years portraying a DC comic superheroine. And I can't think of who that person would have been whose daughter granddaughter might have played DC Comics superheroine. It's probably going to be obvious when I hear it, but it is not immediately obvious as I'm thinking about it. So let me go with somebody I know is on Columbo a bunch and say uh, Patrick McGowan. Yeah, so Patrick McGowan, I think between the NBC and ABC series, four times played a villain on Columbo. He's the only one, I think, to, to play the villain four times. So you're in the right family of responses, but not the correct answer. Also not sure how much of a singer he was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Pass to Dave. So we're looking for an actor who can actually sing. And I'm trying to think of leaning towards the granddaughter who kind of count backwards, starting with like trying to figure out who the female character would be and kind of counting backward to see who might be related. God, again, totally clueless. Basically, Columbo villains. Mr. Peter Falk and his lineup of villains. I am going to go with Roddy McDowell. Oh, well, yeah, he played the villain Bookworm on the 60s Batman show and did play in the episode Short Fuse. He was a Columbo villain, but unfortunately not the answer we're looking for here. So, Nikhil? Boy, uh, I thought the Wayne was also the DC comic superhero, but I'm surprisingly finding it. I'm assuming several years portraying could necessarily be a TV series because, you know, I mean, 
I don't know if DC Comics superheroes have got as much coverage in the movies as they should have. But again, I'm stumped. I'm like, the only shows I can think of are, well, Supergirl, and that's played by Melissa Benoist. As far as I know, she's not a second or third generation. Who else could it be? Supergirl families, Batgirl. Oof. Okay, since you've said several years, I'll just go with Benoist. Benoist. It's uh, got nothing better, but do not really sound confident about that, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think she, of course, was, she was folded yeah. into the, I guess, Arrowverse. Although her show started on CBS, I think, but it was eventually brought over, I think, to the CW. And, and there was a no, there was a crossover with The Flash because there actually was a musical episode, I think, in which she yeah. and uh, Grant Gustin both sang. Yeah. Uh, and there was like a Glee reunion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Arrowverse, quote-unquote, is what I was trying to lead you all uh, toward okay. here. But I, I skipped over the middle generation. The son of the man I'm asking about and the father of the woman I'm hinting about, he was also very well-known. He was on a show. He was a, a heartthrob in the 70s on a show that many people watch. I think my father would sometimes show reruns to my brother and I when we were growing up called The Partridge Family. He also... Oh, uh, Cassidy, Katie Cassidy. Oh, oh, of course, she okay. played Black Canary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So Katie Cassidy played first Black Canary and then Black Siren, who eventually is is redeemed and becomes Black Canary again in uh, the Arrowverse. Her father, David Cassidy, had a famous song, I Think I Love You, one of my father's favorite songs. And his father was named Jack Cassidy. Yeah, he was familiar with Jack Cassidy. Yeah. Is that the song, I Think I Love You, but what are you so afraid of? Or what am I so afraid of? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that was David Cassidy's big hit. I can't remember if it was David Cassidy or Sean Cassidy who showed up in the original Flash TV series from the 90s as, I think it was Miramaster, one of the villains. Hmm. Uh, It was just a one-episode arc. But, you know, of course, that was an interesting one. I think it was David Cassidy himself, though. Oh, okay. Sean Cassidy did a lot of TV work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was in, like, the Hardy Boys TV show in the 70s, but then he moved behind the scenes, did a lot of production work on different shows. Yeah, and, and some of the other. Patrick Cassidy, I think, was their brother or half-brother who also had a lot of acting credits. But mm-hmm. all right. So Jack Cassidy was the answer there. Nice. Very ta- very talented performer who struggled with substance abuse issues and fell asleep while smoking and set himself on fire in the 70s. Wow. Uh, came to an untimely end. Let that be a caution to you, kids. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll try this Yeah. Dave, now on this question. All I can say is that this girlfriend of Mal Duncan's life was pretty plain, until she dressed up in a super suit in order to help Mal impress the Teen Titans in Teen Titans number 45 from 1976, and subsequently became a Teen Titan herself, identify this second black female superhero in DC Comics history. Ah, Teen Titans. Hmm. Pretty familiar, I thought, with at least the new Titans. Second black superhero female superhero this should be more glaringly obvious than it is uh god i, I want to say starfire immediately comes to mind but that, i know that's not right on the same note i don't have a better guess so i'm going to go with starfire all right good guess but not correct past Nikhil. i love the clue you've given where you say all i can say is that and that immediately takes you to no rain and blind melon and of course the little girl dressed up in the suit I did know this anyhow because you said Mal Duncan, and I did read that arc at that time. He used to have Gabriel's horn, or I don't remember what his uh, thing was, but but she was called, and she became a superhero, uh, Bumblebee. Can't remember her original name. It was Karen something, but okay. uh, she took on the name Bumblebee. Yeah, I'd have to look that up, but Karen Beecher, apparently. Was Beecher, her. right. Yeah, But yeah, Bumblebee is correct. 
And last question of this round before we move on to the these questions in your specialist areas. This was a little tangential to DC Comics, but kind of a fun topic. So this will start with Nikhil. Appearing in the fourth issue of Mad Magazine in 1953, what eight-page parody that ends with a leering Clark Bent being rejected by Lois Payne and learning the lesson, once a creep, always a creep, is credited by Alan Moore with inspiring his 1980s resurrection of Marvel Man, later renamed Miracle Man, and influencing the approach he took in writing Watchmen. Oh, I've heard about this. There are a few Superman parodies, and I'm trying to remember which one. I did not know. I mean, obviously, Marvel Man and Miracle Man and Watchmen are, you know, Alan Moore, I'm a big fanboy. <laughs> so, but um, was it called Stupid Man? Is that your answer? Yeah, that is my answer. All right. Good guess, but that's not no. what it was called. So pass to Michael. To be clear, I was not reading Mad Magazine in 1953. <laughs> <laughs> I do think if I remember this correctly from later compilations, I want to say this was Super Duper Man. Is that what you're locking in? Yes. And that's correct. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. I was trying to pick between Stupid Man and Superman with two O's, but yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, you're right in the ballpark, Nikhil. It was a nice one. I would have guessed Stuper, Stuper, S-T-U-P-O-R, man, Stuper, man. Well, that's, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's another. Even on this question, even though I didn't know if people would know it, I figured there'd be some fun guesses, even if they didn't. It's a yeah, good way to sort of work out some creativity and trying to guess what it might be. Yeah, so we end. Yeah, we, uh, we end this uh, three R's round with Michael and Nikhil tied at 0.3. So not much of a tiebreaker between them and Dave at 0.0, but still plenty of time to earn a lot more points. So now we'll move into round one, the not all that hard round. So in this round and all successive rounds, if you will get three specialist questions related to the categories you selected with the caveat, it's not intended to be a fair or comprehensive test of your knowledge of those categories. The questions may relate directly or obliquely. To keep everyone on their toes, I won't reveal the categories, at least not until they become evident. So before you can answer, your fellow contestants will get to work together to try and steal the points from you. You'll only get a chance to answer for points if your opponents miss. If I toss it over to you without telling you whether they got it right or not, that's usually like to build suspense or something. If you know for a fact that they are right, you can just say that. But otherwise, you should proceed as if they got it wrong, because you won't get any points if you just copy their answer. There will be bonuses occasionally extra questions for people who are stolen from. They will go with some, but not all questions. They're unevenly and quasi-randomly sprinkled throughout the game. They will relate to the question. They won't always fit into the same overall category or be at the same level of difficulty as the question. So these round one questions are not all that hard. They'll be worth two points as a steal, one as a specialist, and one point for a bonus as well. And now and for the rest of the game, the points will go to both stealers, even if only one knew the answer. So there's an element of luck in who gets points. It's not a it's not a strictly meritocratic game. It's just for, you know, everything's for fun. Points are for fun as well. It, this is really to kind of show off knowledge and share your passions, not to compete. But we will begin now with Dave and Nikhil trying to steal from Michael. So this question is for Dave and Nikhil to work on together. Prior to the Open era, a certain American tennis player was part of the draw in women's singles at the 1964 French Championship, the predecessor to the French Open, and in women's doubles, partnering her sister Linda Liu at 1964 Wimbledon. Sure, she had little international success and soon transitioned into a different career, but still, that's pretty incredible. Name her. Okay, I think that's pretty incredible. It's an incredible clue because I remember this, like, again, we, it was a 70s show, but we used to get it in the 80s in Dubai. And, you know, we used to watch this pretty regularly. That's incredible. 
And I know that the the female presenter there also succeeded Linda Carter as uh, Wonder Woman briefly in her plain clothes era. I think that was Kathy Lee Crosby. I would, I, I would agree with your answer. Although she was blonde, she was the original Wonder Woman. I remember watching the television. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, she might have been the original. There was a pilot or uh, there was, she was definitely there at some point. But because of that clue, it just jumps off. Otherwise, I would have probably thought of Linda Carter herself. You know, definitely would like the thought of Linda Carter being Wonder Woman and a tennis player. But Kathy Lee Crosby sticks out there. I agree. Kathy Lee Crosby. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I think also another hint in there, her sister was named Linda Lou Crosby. They both had that so sort of Kathy first Lee. Mid- okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's incredible actually did air in the 80s, in the early okay. 80s. Yeah. And and Kathy Lee Crosby was the female member of the presenting team. And as Dave kind of corrected you on, her Wonder Woman pilot was actually before Linda Before. Carter. Correct. You're right. But that is definitely the correct answer. So now uh, move on to Michael and Nikhil to try and steal from Dave. Beginning in 1969's Batman number 217, Dick Grayson attended what fictitious university in New Carthage, New York? It shares its name with a fictional New York City university from a separate non-comic book universe whose students fall prey to violent crime at an alarming rate. I remember this because at some point he used to keep disappearing and showing up in the comics probably through the 70s, long but the key, I guess, is what's the other one? It's a non-comic book universe. What was Veronica Mars? Okay, I'm not watching Veronica Mars. I'm not sure there was violent crime there particularly. or And of course, I was school maybe. Oh. I'm just trying to think of what, what university Dick Grayson attended. My first thought was Empire University, but that's the one they use in Marvel. Huh. It's not Hudson University. That's Law and Order. So I'm trying to think of what... New York University they used where Dick went to college. Yeah. I, in Gotham, it wouldn't have been Gotham University. No, so so it's New Yorkish. Just to get back to the second part, it sounds like okay, a New York City University, possibly from books or movies. What was the one in screen? And I'm just trying to remember that. Uh yeah. it has it has to be somewhere where you know, there's lots of murders going on, so I'm guessing somebody's either a horror, you know, slasher flick or, oh, goodness. And I'm going to kick myself when the name comes up because I read it in the comics a long time back. Yeah, you're the Batman guy, so I'm, whatever you say, I'm going to smile and nod and say, Nikhil's yeah. right. <laughs> I, I wish I remembered this, but now I'm just trying to figure it out from the second part and I can't... Oh. Okay, backup plan. Do we have any guesses? Do you want to go with Empire State? That's not bad. Well, I'm, I like I said, I'm I'm certain that that's Marvel, though. Right. Hmm. Is there any other clue here from a separate non-comic book universe? Yeah, it sounds like horror um, movies, which are totally not my area of expertise. So. Yeah, me neither. No, I've got nothing. Let's just go with something generic, I guess. Something that sounds like a university. Like I said, I'll defer to you because you're the Batman guy. Yeah, I'm not going to be earning my Batman credit on this question, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Since that's the only one that's really come up, even though you said it's Marvel, I'm just going to go with Empire. Okay. Thank you, right. New York. Yeah. All right. I see your logic there, but it's not correct. So pass to Dave. And this is a stretch for me as well. Way back here. God, I don't know why, but. Bloodhaven immediately came to mind. I don't know why, but that doesn't sound like college. I think that's uh, 
Uh, different city. It's not Gotham. It's in New Carthage, New York. Man, so many different options here. Have nothing to do with the Batman universe. For some reason, Woodburn immediately comes to mind. So that's what I'm going to guess is Woodburn. All right. So you're locking in Woodburn? Yes. Yeah. So something that I... Definitely sounds familiar. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's... <laughs> so something, yeah, something I don't see all that often. I'll see people, you know, like consider an answer and then move away from it and then either come back to it or not come back to it. But I very rarely see is people just say the correct answer and then dismiss it and just move on from that, which is what happened here. The separate non-comic book universe whose students palfrate at violent crime at an alarming rate is the Law and Order universe. Uh, oh! And what Michael said right. about that being Hudson University. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to really? do. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I think I'm, I should have... I think I missed Hudson University, but you're right. Now that you mention it... Oh, sorry, you yeah, were right. The you were right on the right Law and Order when they need a fictional university. Oh, right. Yep. Yeah, which, again, makes you think if you're a parent, you definitely wouldn't want your children to go there, I would think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's a good thing Dick Grayson goes there, right? Right, yes. He can hopefully uh, rescue some people. <laughs> All right, so we're back to the, the Batman TV series now for Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. So Dina Merrill, the daughter of Marjorie Merriweather Post, I, of course, have to get in a Marjorie Merriweather Post <laughs> re reference, uh, appeared opposite her then-husband Cliff Robertson in the final two-part episode of the 60s live-action Batman TV series. I think that would have been in 1968. So Cliff Robertson played what <laughs> recurring villain in that episode, who had previously shown up in season two paired with Oki Annie before coming back alongside Merrill as Calamity Jan. This character's name was clearly formed by changing one letter in the name of the title hero of a 1946 Western novel by Jack Schaefer. This I, feel is pretty, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that's shame. Yeah, so is that what you're locking in? Yes. Yeah, is that correct, Nikhil? Yeah, come back shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I did act trying to embed a clue in there when I wrote before coming back alongside Meryl, because that's the famous <laughs> line, line from the movie, uh, come back Shane. But yeah, shame with an M was the name there. All right, so now back to Dave and Nikhil working together to try and steal from Michael. The closing credits of which 1984 film were required to state that the title, quote, has been used with the consent of DC Comics Incorporated due to the existence of a member of the Legion of Superheroes who debuted in Adventure Comics number 346. Mm. Okay, so obviously it's not a comics film and it has to be like a Legion-y type of name, I guess. So something girl, something boy or lad. Oh, there was an ultra boy Right? Or an ultra man. I'm not. Wasn't there like a Japanese? Along the line of archers, uh, I think of Green Arrow, and that would be Speedy, would be. Oh, Speedy's a good guess also. 1984 um, film, though. I don't think it would be that. Legion of Superheroes, we have. Oh, uh, gosh. Monel, Bouncing Boy. Uh, <laughs> so many different variations. Uh, Was there a Bubble Boy ever? And because. Yeah, yeah. Bubble Boy. Well, but yeah, but. I think the eight, 70s movie is Boy in the Bubble, yeah. Right. Yeah. Bubble Boy was the uh, movie with Kat. John Big Travolta. Ball. Oh, sorry. Big Bubble Boy was, yeah, the, the remake. Yeah. yeah. But I, oh, think, well, sort of... I don't think that was early as 1984 when that came out. I think that no. Was in the 90s. no, there was the Boy in the Plastic Bubble, which was John Travolta in the 70s. Remember that. But, yeah, but this is 84. You know what? I'm trying to think of all the, you know, the Legion of Superheroes guys who were... There was, Okay, the main ones were Lightning Lad, 
you know, Satin Girl. Satin Girl was there. And it is a title. It's not just a character. There was Timberwolf. Monel was Brainiac. Brainiac 5. I'm trying to think if there was like a different, some superhero type. There was a, there was a Star Boy. Star. Mm. Or the, was it Star Man? They could be Star Man. Yeah, but. Well, there was a Starman. Okay, there was a Starman in Legion of Superheroes. There was a Starman that's a lot older, from the forties and all Jeff, that. Jets, Jeff Bridges, I think, played Starman. Well, that was nineteen eighty four. I oh, that was in the nineteen eighties. That yeah. would be good actually, because okay, though there is like though there are multiple versions of Starman, there was a Legion of Superheroes version as well, like the Star Boy who became Starman, and huh, yeah, yeah the, I, 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 I'm in nineteen eighty four. About right, I think that was Jeff yeah. Bridges. Karen Allen, I think, were in the movie. Yeah. I Um, remember seeing the TV series with Robert Hayes. That was in the 90s, so 84 sounds right. Yeah, I would go with this, actually. I think this you're onto something here. I think Starman works well, fits in a few different things. Yeah, I don't don't have a better guess, so I'll go with Starman as well. Yeah, let's do that. We lock in Starman. That is an excellent guess, which I actually wasn't anticipating because just, yeah, it is a 1984 movie, definitely. And I, I take your word for it that there was a Starman in the Legion of Superheroes. I, I wouldn't know myself. So yeah, that is, uh, you know, belongs in the category of guesses that should be right, but unfortunately are not. It's not. <laughs> Michael? That, that was a terrific guess, and it's one that I didn't consider. My first thought when I read the question was the most obvious answer given the, the time period of the film and people who were in the Legion at some point was Supergirl. But I was like, it can't be that obvious because that was a DC Comics film. So they wouldn't have had to say that. You know what? So I, I had to just sort of run through my head who else would have been in the Legion prior to 1984. And the one that I came up with that was the name of a Legionnaire and the title of a film was Karate Kid. You're right. Yes, you're right. Yep. Oh, yeah, a movie that was a much bigger hit than Starman, even though I think Starman yeah. was decently successful. Yeah, but just, uh, just uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Karate Kid had a pretty big arc on Legion as well. Like, I mean, without giving too many spoilers, I think his fate was a crucial point in the 80s. Oh, very good. I should have thought of that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Michael uh, is right in that an actual DC Comics film would be way too straightforward. For mm-hmm. the, yeah, so Supergirl yeah. did come out in that same year. But yeah, that's yeah, obviously not, so, yeah. not what I was looking for. Yeah. I mean, the Starman thing, like, I, I hope they did have a thing because there's been a long time superhero called Starman in DC Comics. So I'm, I'm wondering whether there was a, you know, a, a tussle on that for the movie Starman as well. You know, yeah, it could I'd, be I'd, have to, I'd have to look that up. But uh, yeah. Uh. Worth following yeah, on. Uh, we were just guessing about the because I know in the Legion they always had examples of like people who started off as lad, girl, boy, and then at some point in the future became man and woman, or uh, you know, just to uh, yeah, Star modify. Boy's always been Star Boy, though. Yeah, Star Man, he was never a Star Boy. Yeah, Star Man is a completely different actual set of DC characters, yeah, a big one, age. yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. But yeah, you were focused on sort of the boy, girl, lad, and didn't think kid, which I think if you had, it would have clicked, <laughs> probably. All right. Michael and Nikhil to try and steal from Dave. The self-described magnum opus of Slovenian philosopher Slavoj Zizek uses a metaphor drawn from astronomy to, as Wikipedia puts it, rework the Hegelian dialectic from a materialist perspective. 
That 2006 book by Zizek almost certainly took its title from a 1974 political conspiracy thriller film starring Warren Beatty as a reporter who investigates a sinister corporation responsible for numerous assassinations. What name is shared by that fictitious corporation from the 1974 film and a supervillain from the Green Lantern universe? Parallax. It's Parallax, yes. That makes in? sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so that is correct. Parallax was apparently a supervillain identity for Hal Jordan. Uh, Hal Jordan, yeah. Former, yeah. So a big I, crossover, yeah. So for the first time, we have a bonus question. So this is just for Dave to try and answer. According to Parallax's 1994 origin story, Hal Jordan became Parallax after being driven mad by Mongols' destruction of what hometown of his? Oh, God, it's something city. I want to say it's Star City. Is that what you're locking in? Yes. What I have here is Coast City. It's Coast City. Star City is Green Arrow. Green Arrow. Star. I think the arrow was they made it Starling City and then they changed it back to Star City, right? Yeah. All right, Dave and Michael now to try and steal from Nikhil. What five-letter interjection is the title of the most famous reworking of an Irvnovic drawn panel from DC's All-American Men of War number 89? This is one of the, this has got to be one of the Lichtenstein thief paintings Probably Wham, W-H-A-A-M, I think. I do not have a better guess, so I would go with that as well. Is that what you're locking in? Yeah, we're locked in. Okay, yeah. I mean, I I discovered while research that Lichtenstein apparently really liked that particular issue of All-American Men of War, because he actually, (laughs) there's like at least four different Lichtenstein paintings that are directly taken or, you know, reworking panels from it. But uh, I think the most famous and the one whose title is a five-letter interjection. Yeah, I had to pin it uh, that way because there are multiple ones. But the one I was looking for here was Wham. Yeah. Yeah. Irv Novik's a great artist. Lots of Batman. I think Green Lantern, too. Yeah. Irv Novik was a great artist. Roy Lichtenstein was a thief. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Dave and Nikhil now to try and steal from Michael. The supervillain Tobias Whale has what genetic condition that arguably makes him even more of an opposite to his heroic counterpart? The rapper Krondon, K-R-O-N-D-O-N, who played Tobias on TV, has this condition in real life. I think he's got albinism, so it makes him, I guess, he's usually against Batman, so maybe the Dark Knight. And of course, if I'm wrong, I'm going completely, uh, yeah, you can talk being a, an opposite there. <laughs> Although Krondon, hmm. Although, I mean, he's definitely the opposite of, was it Batman or? He comes in some Batman comics for sure, at least. I know that. Are we good with that? Albinism if? Yeah, considering like you're referring to like that he's an albino. Is that correct? Yeah. But I'm just trying to think like, is there any clue in Crondon in the name? Like, has he taken it from uh, another condition? Because no, I feel like, I mean, that was my initial thought. Like, I think it did stick with that. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, I would stick with that because especially yeah. as an opposite. I'll go with that. Lock it in. Yeah. Right. So Let's go in. with albinism. Yeah. Feeling totally useless here. Sorry. <laughs> no, I could be totally wrong on this. Sorry. So uh, we're just. Yeah. So on uh, on TV and I think in the comics as well, Tobias Whale is primarily a foe of Black Lightning. Black Lightning. Yeah. Black Lightning. Sorry. Yes. Correct. Yes. But as. Uh, so that does. Yeah. Yeah. So both he and Crondon are black men with albinism, which is. Right. An interesting condition. Bonus for Michael. So speaking of Crondon, he also voiced which supervillain with albinism in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Hmm. Oh, I can't think of a Spider-Man villain with albinism. Hmm. 
that rings absolutely zero bells, even though you would think there couldn't be that many characters <laughs> with that condition. <laughs> so without anything else to go on, I'm just going to go with the White Goblin. <laughs> yeah, so I just realized I, I uh, <laughs> let a, a Marvel question slip into this all DC episode. It's, it's not Doomstone, is it? The correct answer, it's, uh, I mean, Alonzo Thompson Lincoln, better known as Tombstone. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, and so I, I remember him from the from the comic series. Yes, father yeah. of Janice Lincoln, who is apparently yeah. Lady Beetle. Yeah. Oh. All right. So now, who are we on? Now, Michael and Nikhil to try and steal from Dave. So... Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's famous miniseries, Batman The Long Halloween, ends with Alberto Falcone being seemingly unmasked as the holiday killer. But in the story's twist ending, who is revealed to be behind the initial holiday murders? All you, Nikhil. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is Harvey Dent's wife, or I don't know if she's his ex-wife at that time. It was Gilda Dent. I love Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's stuff. I mean, Long Halloween is brilliant, and Tim Sale, I think, died la last year, was it? Or... We lost a lot of good comic book artists last year, mm -hmm. a few Batman ones. I think it is, unless I'm mistaking it for the, so this is a long Halloween because there were a few works with, yeah, I think it is Hilda Dent, who is Harvey Dent's wife slash ex-wife. Yeah. So lock that in, Gilda Dent. Okay. Of yeah, course. I guess this is a spoiler, but for a 30 year old work, <laughs> uh, not to be confused. Wow, 30 with, years uh, old. Yeah. Not to be confused with uh, Stephanie Brown, the spoiler. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yes, that, that is Gilda Dent is correct. And here's a bonus again, just for Dave. What longtime Batman foe is essentially the Hannibal Lecter of the long Halloween, haunting authorities and feeding <laughs> them cryptic clues from inside Arkham Asylum? God, I've seen this and I read it and it's been a while. Uh, I believe I'm going with the Riddler, Edward Nigma. All right. So this is... Uh, Actually, another villain who's... Uh, Calendar Tudyk. Man, was it? Yeah, or... it's another one Alan Tudyk voices on Harley Quinn. And so in keeping with the theme of holidays, right? Because the holiday killers' killings are all basically themed to the calendar because they all fall on yeah. holidays. It's Calendar Man. Julian Day, right? That sounds... He's one of those, like, the, the they've done a great job in the Batman series with resurrecting, like, these campy villains from... Uh, the old series and, you know, especially guys like Grant Morrison have reused them in the 90s and 2000s to great effect. And yeah, Calendar Man, that was quite memorable. Yeah. yeah because like you said, holiday themed. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think a character who maybe originated as a bit of a joke character, but was brought back by later writers decades later as a much more serious yeah. psych psychopath. All right. So finishing out this not all that hard round with Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. Wait, when do we get to the not all that hard question? <laughs> I've been waiting for that myself. <laughs> According to her origin story, Captain Cold's sister, the Golden Glider, was a practitioner of what activity before becoming a supervillain? She did this in association with another supervillain, the Top. Golden Glider, the Top. So it's spinning. Are they maybe like circus performers of some kind, maybe? Acrobats or something? That or I would say some sort of like uh, dancing or something along those lines, but yeah, that that could that could work too. Golden Glider almost implies that she's riding some sort of a device, though, like skis or something of that nature. Golden Glider, and it's Captain Cold's sister, so 
skiing, maybe, possibly, kind of goes along that same line. On the same note, though, I'm not familiar with the character. I don't know. Any ideas? No, like I said, I, I don't. The names are familiar as far as the Golden Glider in the top. But as far as what she did before she was a supervillain, I don't know. I was just thinking if she did it with, in association with this other person, it's probably some kind of activity that takes more than one person to do. Which is why I was thinking maybe they were like circus acrobats, like trapeze artists or something. Although dancing, which you said, works perfectly well, too. Maybe they were ballroom dancers. It, I can certainly about, see that. Because it's Captain Cold, what about ice skating? Yeah, that works perfectly well, too. It could be any of those things. But I'm just thinking it's probably something that a man and a woman do as a pair, yeah. probably. Just from the top. Yeah, I would agree with your line of thinking but i mean we've got a number of possibilities and i don't have any idea which is which is correct yeah although there are like ice skating again there are pairs ice skating and like yeah i, I mean i like that because of the captain cold tie-in right and she's golden glider so yeah she, i can see with no knowledge i could certainly see that yeah i don't have a better guess so i would I would yeah, why don't we lock, let's lock that in. We'll lock that in. They were ice skaters. Yeah, I think that's close enough to be that's acceptable. They're figure skaters. Yeah, I think I think the top was actually her coach rather than her partner. But yeah, I mean, uh, gliding, top spinning like a top, mm -hmm. gliding, she, and then she, cold. You assembled the she, clues. Yeah, well called, yeah. Dave. Yeah, I was, I was watching that unfold. It, like, I was like, you guys are getting into all the good parts there. I think she uses her skates as a weapon also, right? There's some uh, grisly scenes where she's uh, like, uh, you know, obviously the top in the golden glider. So <laughs> to finish off the round with a bonus for Nikhil, what interchangeable name did the golden glider give to a series of expendable boyfriends she recruited to help carry out her schemes? Oh, okay. Hmm. Interchangeable name. Okay, I'm not going to get this on the... Hmm. Was it the Suicide Squad? No, apparently she called them all Chill Blaine. Chilblain, which is a it's reference. also in the Arrowverse, yeah, yeah, and it's a reference to a medical condition called Chilblains. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we end that round. Everyone very uh, closely together, but Michael in the lead at eleven point three, Dave at ten point zero, and Nikhil at eight point three. So now the point values will go up for the only somewhat hard round. They'll now be worth four points as a steal, three as a specialist, two as a bonus. And we will begin with David Nikhil to try and steal from Michael. Legion of Superheroes creator Otto Binder, Binder, not sure, joined with his brother Earl under the pen name Endo Binder to pen a number of speculative fiction stories about the android Adam Link beginning in 1939. The first and most famous of those stories has twice been adapted into episodes of The Outer Limits, one in 1964 and one in 1995, but it remains only the second most prominent literary work to have its title. What is that title with its shares with a fix-up novel published 11 years after it? So this is 11 years after 1939, you mean? or Yeah, 11 years yeah. after 1939. Okay. Hmm. So we're talking a novel from 1950 and a fix-up novel. And then adapted into The Outer Limits. Could it be like a, a Heinlein work was Stranger in a Strange Land in 1950? So the literary work, the second one, has nothing to do with the outer limits or something, but maybe some plot elements. So we talk about an android, Adam Link. What's a fix-up novel, anyhow? 
A fixed up novel, I think, is usually defined as basically like a novel created from previously published works with sort of a frame story okay. built around them. Okay, got it. Huh. Link. Could Link be clued to anything or the Android? Oh, I'm just trying to think of stuff that was around 1950. It doesn't have to be sci-fi. It could just be the title is Lord of the Rings was... Was Lord of the Rings around then? Tolkien? Now, am I going way too late? Yeah, I am not 100% sure. But it seems like a generic enough name that would be... I don't know. But I keep coming back behind him, though it's a bit early for him. 1950, we're talking about. Lord of the Rings would definitely work as a fix-up novel, right? I mean, it was... Uh, what about Vonnegut? Anything? Science fiction stories about Adam Link. The story Adam Link. started in 1939. Yeah, Adam's... Adapted into, so related to an... Unless it's Adam, Eden, I was thinking about East of Eden. No, that's not 1950, is it? If we've got nothing better, I guess I'd go with Lord of the Rings. I don't know if I might be missing some clue because Yogesh would usually put in something here that might be an angle, like Adam Link, the android, the man who, iRobot, it could be, no? Yeah? Well, no, that's wrong timing again. I would... Probably stick with Lord of the Rings at this point. Yeah. I yeah, I don't think it's related to token, but I, I uh, don't I don't have a better uh, guess. I think you're like along more the more the right lines with an iRobot or something uh, along those lines or an Asimov or something like that. Sorry, was there is there a, a Legion of Superheroes creators? So that's the comic book connect. No, I, I mean I just mean that the prominent literary work, it might have nothing to do with that. It's just something that would sound generic enough that could be used in but then using it, adapting it into an episode of the Outer Limits probably didn't use the same name because if there's a more famous literary work there. Should we lock in Lord of the Rings for now? I sure. mean, I think, yeah, yeah, I have a better guess. Yeah. Let's go with Lord of the Rings. All right. Michael, what do you think? I actually think it's iRobot. Is that, what you want? Is that what you want to lock in? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both of those episodes and the original story. You see the word Android in the question, right? I, I, could, yeah. have said, I could have said robot there, but I didn't. Right? You said specifically Android, so we should look at what's missing. Yeah, you're right. Now, I was just trying to go further away. I thought it would be like something that would be extremely coincidental that it has. But I think, yeah, I've definitely got the timing wrong also for Lord of the Rings 11 yeah. years after. I was yeah. very surprised to learn there are two famous works of science fiction called iRobot, but then mm. I was like, eh, well, it happens, I guess. Yeah, both of those. Nicely done. Yeah. Actually, Leonard Nimoy was in both of the 1964 and 95 episodes playing different characters, but oh. the, the 95 one was directed by Adam Nimoy, his son. Nice. Okay, mm -hmm. so Michael and Nikhil now to try and steal from Dave. Paul Dini's creation of Harley Quinn was almost certainly influenced by his friend Arlene Sorkin, who ended up voicing the character on Batman the Animated Series. Specifically, Dini appears to have taken inspiration from Sorkin's appearance as a jester in a fantasy sequence on which daytime soap opera, which saw her regularly play Calliope Jones from 1984 to 1990, and a few guest appearances after that. Days of Our Lives, or... No, I... So Arlene Sorkin did come in Bold and the Beautiful later, but I don't think they're talking about that. It could be Guiding Light, or I don't remember what was the... I don't think it's Days. I think it, it's, a, it's one of those. I, mm. Is it All My Children? Yeah, that rings a bell for Arlene Sorkin. I think Sorkin. it's All My Children, Yeah, for some reason. Daytime Soap, is there anything else here that could be... 
No, it, it, should, it was definitely a soap opera. I remember yeah. I, it just it's a matter of which one. But for some reason, I saw her name. I thought it was all my children. I, I think you're right. I mean, I've heard the whole reference, like when Harley Quinn came about. I'm pretty sure it's not days because my, my yeah. first wife used to watch that. And I don't think she was on that. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to go with all my children. It rang a bell when you said it, like with relation to Arlene Sorkin. Okay. Well, let's try and that. We'll lock I, in all my children. Yeah. All right. That was a popular daytime soap of the era, but it's not the correct answer. So pass to Dave. Ah, uh, man. Obviously, the other ones are going to be the standout or guiding light, uh, the young and the restless. And I actually am sad to admit that I actually did watch in high school and early college some episodes of the young and the restless. And I don't remember this character. I, God, I'm going to go with guiding light. So I was just, I just remembered, actually, I feel like in episode two, I talked, there was a character on Guiding Light who was revealed to be a superhero called the Guiding Light, uh, <laughs> which was a, an, a kind of some attempt at a crossover. I don't remember which company it was with, though, whether it was DC or not. But but yeah, if I if that were true, I think I might have referenced the fact Guiding Light takes place in a city was called... As, as the world turns? Or? Uh, so yeah, so I was saying Guiding Light actually takes place in a city called Spring, Springfield, which uh, is my home, also the name of my hometown, and Marjorie Merriweather Post's hometown. So I might have been <laughs> a reference there. But no, it was the very first thing Nikhil said, Days of Our Lives. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to kind of trust your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm fairly sure, fairly sure Arlene sorted. So we used to get, okay, in weird annals of Dubai, his, Dubai TV history. So we used to get a lot of stuff. We used to get Bold and the Beautiful every day. And I'm pretty sure... When my folks used to watch it, I remember seeing Arlene Sorkin there, and uh, she had the funny accent and everything there also, which you can instantly pick up as Harley Quinn in the 90s. But I think that might have been a crossover or or maybe a different character altogether. Yeah, I know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at her filmography on Wikipedia, and it only lists days of our lives, so I don't know. There might be hmm. a Mand Mandela effect there. Maybe I'm mixing up someone else with her, or yeah. All right, so next question is going to be Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. Formerly mm -hmm. Electro, a robot created for the 1939 New York World's Fair and commandeered by Brainwave, what robot butler to the All-Star Squadron was almost certainly named for one of the most prominent literary figures to come out of Luxembourg? Sorry, is this, this is my direct, right? Like, yeah, Dave and Michael to steal right. from you. Yeah. Okay, I don't know that... I ever read any all-star squadron so nor did i and i can't i can't think of any prominent literary figures from luxembourg either i can't think of any non-prominent i can't think of anybody from luxembourg let's just <laughs> let's just be straight about it <laughs> exactly it's a pretty pretty small country um, <laughs> yeah nothing is coming to mind here luxembourg <sighs> Well, let's focus on it maybe from a different perspective. What what would be a name for a robot butler that might be somebody who was a famous writer? Yeah, you want to think of something very classic like... Yeah, uh, <laughs> what could that be? Alfred is a very classic British name, obviously, but uh, Luxembourg, yeah, you would think it would lean something towards... When it says almost certainly named, it makes it sound like that's... It's not like a common name. It'd be a name that maybe you'd only associate with this particular literary figure. Because otherwise, if it was like Jim, it could be, you know, anybody. Right. So if it was almost certainly named after this person, 
it's got to be a name that you wouldn't think of anybody else other than that person. Like, what do we do? Correct. Like in a literary figure, you would think of somebody along the lines of like Hemingway or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Stands out. Who was the Hemingway of Luxembourg? <laughs> <laughs> or the Fitzgerald of Luxembourg? That might be an episode title. Who was the Hemingway of Luxembourg? <laughs> <laughs> Hemingway was definitely a bit of an odd duck. That's for sure. Yeah. Man. Yeah, you so, want to lean like something towards like, I don't know, very almost eloquent, like Sebastian or something of that nature. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reaching. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's go with that. Let's let's go with that. We got nothing else. It's only a three hour show. Yes, yes. Uh, OK, so Sebastian, Sebastian, you're locking in. Yeah, sure. why not? All right. Nikhil. OK, I loved All Star Squadron. Roy Thomas, excellent. And like the whole, you know, where they recreated the 1939 World's Fair. There was, I, I mean, there's still footage of Electro on YouTube, but that was turned into a seminal event. Yeah, it's somebody who's named something else. I had no idea he was from Luxembourg. They actually took the surname. The first name was taken for an award, the Hugo Awards, and it's actually Gernsback. Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've been kind of just mentally collecting names of people from Luxembourg who are notable. The photographer. How long is that uh, list? Can't yeah. be very long. <laughs> Fairly sure, yeah. The photographer Edward Steichen, I think someone I recently learned uh, Norbert Jakes, the creator of Dr. Mabuza, Robert Schumann, oh. the father of the EU, and the actress Vicky Kreps, who was in Phantom Thread and M. Night Shyamalan's old. And yeah, this person, uh, the namesake of the Hugo Awards, Hugo Gernsback. I was yeah. assuming he was German. Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, I had no clue I, that he was from Luxembourg. Yeah. Okay, so in episode six of this podcast, which was a while ago, I asked it the other way around. I asked what country he was from, and the answer, as uh, Nolan Werner got, was Luxembourg. But yeah, so uh, Nikhil's correct on that for Gernsback. Now Dave and Nikhil to try and steal from Michael. The focus of a trilogy of paintings by John William Waterhouse, as well as a 2018 feminist revisionist novel by Madeline Miller, what mythological being made her DC Comics debut during the Golden Age in Wonder Woman number 37? Robert Kaniger, the original creator of the comics version of this character, brought her back during the Silver Age in Sea Devils number 3, and she has since been seen with many different character designs throughout the Silver, Bronze, and Modern Ages. Most recently in 2016, she was given a makeover, marked by what Wikipedia describes as a lesbian chic aesthetic hmm. okay so that was in probably in the comics huh and we talk about wonder woman so it's probably like greek hmm. it's probably like a water sprite and i'm just trying to think of echo maybe because it's somebody in the sea devils as well yeah the only thing that Im immediately came to mind from like being a wonder woman like a villain was cheetah but i don't think that's it well, if Especially it's got to be like a, the focus of a trilogy of paintings by Waterhouse, it'll probably be something like Greek mythology. So, yeah, like some but sort I'm just trying to, yeah. like an imp or something of that nature. Yeah. So I was thinking like maybe Echo. Was there an Echo and Narcissus? Uh, Echo, uh, trying to see what else is there in the thing. Because Sea Devils was definitely set in the sea, obviously, but so it would be somebody who's like a sea nymph. Huh. Oh, there was a Circe. So Cersei was a, a Wonder Woman villain, villain as well. Oh, it could be that. It could be Cersei. I'm just trying to look at the other stuff. A novel. Yes, there was a, a feminist revisionist novel. I can't remember the exact title, but there was something to do with Cersei. Yeah, that sounds like a great answer to me. I don't have yeah. anything. Sorry. Should we try that? Yes. Yeah. I'll go with Cersei. Is that right, Michael? I believe so. Yep, Cersei. Very good. There we go. Good job. Yeah. Oh, the, uh, that was the nick of time. And 
He's quite prominent as a Wonder Woman villain. So yeah, I would have really kicked myself if I missed that. Yeah. It's also yeah. one of those character names that have been used by both yeah, DC Marvel. And Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And and in the Eternals, Cersei yeah, as an SCR. There's, yeah. SI. there's the Eternals character who was also in the Avengers for a while, whose name is Cersei. Yeah. And in Game of Thrones. Sort of. <laughs> There you go. But different spellings, sort of. All different spellings. All different spellings, yeah. All right. Michael and Nikhil now to try and steal from Dave. Spoiler alert. DC superheroine Stephanie Brown, at various times the fourth Robin and third Batgirl, initially took on the identity of Spoiler in order to foil the plans of what former game show host father of hers? Nikhil. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the clue master. <laughs> is that what you're locking in? Yeah. Is that right, Dave? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clue master. The yep. cra crazy world of Arthur Brown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dave and Michael now to try and steal from Nikhil. What appropriate noun appears in the name of two antagonists of The Flash, the first of whom faced off against Jay Garrick during the Golden Age in All Flash number 21, and the second of whom faced off against Barry Allen during the Silver Age in Showcase number 4? They later teamed up to take on the third Flash, Wally West. Okay. So two antagonists of the Flash, so two different characters out of the Flash's rogues gallery who have a particular noun in their name. Zoom comes to mind, but that's not... Uh, yeah, because the first thing I thought of was reverse, is in reverse Flash, but that's not a noun, it's, a, it's an adjective, so it's not that. Okay. But somebody who also, the first one goes back to the golden age. So there's a there's like a modern version of the character, but there was a golden age version of that same character, or a character with a similar name, at any rate. Huh. I don't know the golden age flashes rogues gallery at all. So I'm trying to think of well, showcase number four was the first was the first issue of the modern flash. So basically, what was the name of the first villain that Barry Allen faced? Because that was showcase number four. Who was the Flash's first villain? Well, let's think about who, who some of the more prominent Flash villains were. We've already had Captain Cold, so it's probably not him. Mirror what? Master, Weather Wizard. What was that Professor. again? Okay, there's, yeah. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with Golden Age stuff either. More of a Batman, Green Lantern guy. Only... I'm trying to think, who would Barry Allen's first villain have been? It's got to be one of those, it's got to be one of the common rogues gallery. I'm just thinking, it's got to be one of those characters. It's got to be, if it's not Captain Cold, right. or Mirror Master, who else? Captain Boomerang. Well, there's two captains there, but I don't know if there was one in the Golden Age. And it's an appropriate now. So... There's something about that particular word that makes it make sense against the Flash. Huh. Yeah. I'm, well, there yeah, was I, mean, I would, I would, based on, yeah, along with your train of thought, I would almost lean pretty heavily towards Captain, but I Well, don't. I'm also thinking there was Mirror Master and there was, was there like some other kind of master of something? Could very well be, yeah. Because that could be an appropriate noun, the master of, you know, of, I don't know. Those are the two options we've got, I think. What do you? Wh which one you want to roll with? Yeah, whichever, whichever you're more comfortable with. I don't. I don't have a preference. Mm -hmm. I would. Let's go with. I'm, I'm leaning away from Captain Cold only because he was in an earlier question. 
So let's go with master. We'll lock that in. All right. A decent guess, but not correct. Nikhil? Darn. Okay. I've heard of a villain. It's not a very prominent villain, but that appropriate noun just struck me straight away. There was a turtle. And, you know, there's no entourage reference here, but I'm fairly sure there was a turtle and I think with powers to go slow or something like that. But I'd say turtle. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like much of a superpower to just be extremely slow. (laughs) But it does make him appropriately a, a foe of the Flash, because it's exactly right. the, the opposite. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think one of them was called Turtle and the other was called Turtle Man. But I think over time, they've kind of yeah. named, named that become a little interchangeable. But yeah, yeah, Showcase 4 was, I think, the first appearance of Barry Allen. And, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good spot there. Yeah, Showcase 4 was... Uh... Yeah, so you'd think he'd be a more central villain because he was the yeah, very first one. So. Uh, I, I had no idea he was went that far back. You know, I mean, I, I think he might have turned up in the Arrowverse as well, but... Yeah, Probably. I mean, I'm sure they would have been keen to do that. Yeah. Also, I yeah. just remembered where I remembered Arlene Sorkin from. I think she was in America's Funniest Home Videos as a sidekick to Bob Saget, or am I again mixing it up? Sorry, I'm sending ah, everything that doesn't That doesn't ring any bells. Future Yogesh here. We later determined that Nikhil was thinking of America's Funniest People, which Arlene Sorkin co-hosted with a different Full House alumnus, Dave Coulier. I had a bonus question related to the Arrowverse there, but we won't need it. So maybe I'll save it for another episode. We'll just go to Dave and Nikhil to try and steal sure, from yeah. Michael. A 2021 YA graphic novel by L.L. McKinney and Robin Smith, I think one of them wrote the text and the other the, the art, subtitled Real One, centers on what character? Originating in 1973 as Diana's fraternal twin, she is heavily featured in DC's post-rebirth continuity, particularly in Infinite Frontier. Future state, immortal Wonder Woman sees her succeed Hippolyta as queen of the Amazons and ultimately share the mantle of Wonder Woman with Diana. I know there was a time when Artemis took over as Wonder Woman. I'm just wondering whether that's, but I don't know if she succeeded Hippolyta. Although the real one kind of suggests something else, doesn't it? Like fraternal twin. Mm, I am not, not familiar. Sure. I'm not familiar with this character at all, especially the 2021 graphic novel. Huh. I have no reference on this. I'm just trying to think what real one refers to. Like in Greek mythology, something about real one, real someone made out of clay or uh, well, Wonder Woman supposedly made out of clay. Okay. DC's post-rebirth continuity could be Artemis. I think that's she did share the She did share the mantle of Wonder Woman with Diana at some point, but I don't know if it was like ultimately. So that's what I'd lean towards, probably Artemis, but not fitting all the boxes. I would go with that. I don't have any guess on this. Sorry. Okay. Should we try that then? Let's try Artemis. All right. You're locked in Artemis. What do you think, Michael? I don't think that's correct. I think it's Nubia. So my earlier question about Bumblebee, I said she was the second black female superheroine in comics history. The first first black female superheroine was Nubia. Nubia. uh, Who is the correct answer to this question? When I wrote the when I wrote the Wonder Woman one day for for Learned League, there's a question about Nubia in there. Mm. Oh, I'm sure yeah. I took it. I took it at the time, but everything kind of yeah, I've to- definitely seen the character in crossovers. But yeah, didn't know that was nice. All right, where are we on now? Michael and Nikhil to try and steal from Dave of the eight canonical Green Lanterns who have been the title character of Green Lantern comics. The eighth debuted in the Hugo winning Far Sector scripted by N.K. Jemison. What is that character's full nine-letter, historically-inspired first name? Hmm. Ugh. Wow, okay. I'm just trying to think who 
obviously going to be somebody more recent. Yeah, so we can eliminate Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner. It's not a, any uh, of us. Sinestro at some point, but I don't know if he was. But the full nine-letter historically inspired name. Oh, I feel like this, again, we come back to Greek mythology. It'll be something like like Achilles or is Achilles nine letters? No, it's eight. Uh, Aresia, Jade. Uh, so a title character could just be like Green Lantern. You know, it could be under yeah. the fold also. Yeah, uh, yeah I, mm. unfortunately, I don't. the most recent Green Lantern stuff I'm not that familiar with. So It's interesting. Like since they say full, I feel like, oh, this could be it. It could be Jon Stewart himself because I'm just thinking like it's saying full name. So we might know him by a shorter name. But there's no way to get John Stewart to be nine letters. Yeah. Well, no, just the first name, as in could that be short for something? The same with Guy, Guy Gardner or, uh, oh, Guy Gardner has a full name that I'm not. Yeah, but Guy Gardner was around long before N.K. Jemison was. was yeah, like yeah, 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 that's right. That's true. So it has it to be, be somebody, somebody really recent. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. And N.K. Jemison is is a woman, so I'm thinking it's probably a female character. Yeah, it could even be an African American female character. Be, with, but if but, you had to think of somebody with a full name, the fact that he's saying "full" suggests to me that it's somebody who's known by a shorter name. Yeah, that uh, that could be. It could be Cleopatra. Yeah, that's nine letters. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't. And know. then and then it could be somebody who's called Cleo, maybe. Yeah. I'm good with that. Should we try that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's try Cleopatra. I like your logic. Very well reasoned, but not the correct answer. Uh, pass, pass to Dave. Yeah, I don't have any I don't have any other guesses. I'm gonna go back to the logic that was mentioned before and I'm gonna use Jonathan as the nine letters. I see that. Uh, John Stewart. Okay, yeah, I, I see that logic as well. I think the eight at least according to Wikipedia, the eight sort of canonical ones, Alan Scott, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, who was from the Bronze Age in the first black Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, Simon Baz, Jessica Cruz, who I think was the first woman and uh, yeah. Latina. And then the eighth, I mean, you kind of, you started to go along the right path, Nikhil and Michael, when you said, you know, a black woman, and then, you know, historically, you know, historically based on a famous black woman. So this character usually so goes by Joe. But that is, in fact, short. Is it form. Sojourner? Sojourner Truth? Sojourner. Uh, yeah. Is it, oh. Yeah. I counted after that mistake I made with Low Country a few episodes ago. I really counted the number of letters properly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sojourner has nine letters. Yes. Nine uh, letters. Oh, very nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. All Great right. question. All right. So finishing out this round, before we move on to the super hard round, Dave and Michael get a chance to steal from Nikhil. As demonstrated in The Shadow Line, The Honorable Woman, and The English, it's hard to think of a better combination of actor and writer-director than Stephen Ray and What Man. This British TV auteur may still be most recognizable to U.S. audiences for a 1989 acting appearance in which he asked a young Bruce Wayne, Tell me, kid, you ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight? Wow. This is the guy who played the younger version of the Joker in Batman 89. Yeah. Who is that? <laughs> I can picture his face, but I, I don't know the name. Okay, well let's, well, let's see if we can attack it from another angle. So it's somebody who's well-known in British television, apparently, and somebody who's both an actor and a writer-director. 
So somebody who's not just an actor, but also is known for writing and directing stuff. You know who comes to mind, even though I don't know whether he was in the 89 Batman. I'm thinking of the guy who did who did things like Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows. That could very well be. I yeah. But I, I don't know if he was in Batman 89. I'm just trying to think of somebody British who's in television, who's well known for being both a, who's maybe an actor, but is also well known as a writer director. Yeah, I can picture the actor very well that he did the younger version of Jack Napier in Batman yeah, 89. But I, 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 I'm not getting that picture, but I remember the scene, but I can't see the face. Yeah. I'm just trying to come at, trying to cobble together the other clues. Well, if you, I guess, I guess you're leaning like a younger looking version of Jack Nicholson, if you could picture that, I guess, but yeah, that doesn't help much. But yeah, I mean, I can't single the guy out because I can't think of, I would say he's relatively obscure as an actor, from my opinion, because I can't relate to seeing him in movies. That doesn't mean, I mean, I'm not the most well-versed movie viewer on the planet, but on the same note, he's not, like, I would say mainstream, if that makes sense. Maybe more on the British side, maybe he's been in British television, that sort of thing, but I just don't have, just don't have any reference there. Yeah. Um, The name doesn't come to mind. But yeah, you said Julian Sellers? Is Julian, that Julian Fellows is the guy that did Downton Abbey. He's done a bunch of other stuff. I think he was an actor at some point. I'm just can't, I, I can't think of anybody else who's now well known as being a writer director. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm willing to go with that just cuz I don't have another name to throw out that comes yeah, to mind. I'm trying I, to think who else. Like, picture the guy's Stephen Fry maybe? Um and that name I've heard. Yeah. Somebody who's created a lot of television, a lot of British television. Yeah, I'm, I'd be willing to go with Stephen Fry just because I've heard. Okay, him. let's lock that in, Stephen Fry. Yeah. All right, that's that's an interesting thought. Stephen Fry as young Jack Napier. <laughs> Unfortunately, not correct. No. Pastor Nikhil? This is blowing my mind. I, I mean, I've seen the shadow line. Uh, not that I can make the connection, but... I can't believe that was the young Jack Napier. I mean, I remember that scene also, right, where they slow down his voice. There's Toby kid, and wow. Oh. It's also weird because in that scene, he says, by the pale moonlight. Every other time that line shows up in the movie, it's dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Yeah, <laughs> that's a common gripe, that, that thing. Yeah, that's nice. But wow, the shadow line and all is by the same guy. Wow. I feel like I should know more British TV authors. Stephen Ray, of course, worked a lot with Neil Jordan, but that's definitely not him. And he already had a movie career then. It's definitely not Stephen Moffat. <laughs> For lack of a better guess, something's ringing a bill where it was Paul something? No. But uh, just for lack of a better guess, I'll say Mercurio. Okay, yeah. Yeah, actually, your mention of, of Julian Fellows, Michael, I quickly looked and yes, he definitely was an actor for a while before. Yeah, out, right? briefly, yeah. yeah, according to Wikipedia, he was considered in... for to replace Hervé Villachez as the assistant to Rourke on Fantasy Island. Ah, <laughs> that too. Wow. <laughs> That's yes. unbelievable. I, I did not know that. Man. Yeah, I think I'll... I knew uh, he'd been an actor at some point. I, didn't, I had no more specific knowledge than that. Yeah, I, I want to work that into a future episode at some point. But yeah, no, this uh, this man, yeah, he uh, 
Shadow Line. Honorable Woman, I think, did show up, or it was a cross co-production with American TV. I think maybe IFC, some cable network, and it got Maggie Gyllenhaal an Emmy nomination. Yeah. Yeah, very acclaimed. Mm -hmm. He did one in between, which I didn't mention because Stephen Ray wasn't in it, but it was called Black Earth Rising. It's on Netflix. It was, I think, a co-production with Netflix. But anyway, his name is Hugo Blick. Wow. Okay. You know, uh, now that you mention it, I think that was a that was a that might have been a UK pop solos quad yes. back in the day. And yeah, I, there was I, a that was, and I would never have thought he was this young Jack Napier. My God, that's. I believe you're right. There was a quad about his British TV work in PCC. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. All right. So now we okay. Well, I guess I should do a score check. So uh, very narrow lead to Nikhil at twenty two point three, just one point ahead of. Michael at 21.3, Dave not too far behind at 14.0, and now we're heading into the the final round, the super hard round. The points go up, six points for a steal, five for a special. Wait, harder than this? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) You're all uh, experts, right? They're all here to test your expert, really (laughs) test your expertise. All right, so we'll begin this round with David Nikhil to try and steal from Michael. Co-created in 1972 by Len Wein. Who was an active member of Learned League up until his 2017 passing? Which DC Comics character has been played in various TV series by Rick Springfield, Mark Valley, and Will Travel? Yeah, I think this is the human target. His name's Christopher Chance. And Will Travel, I think, was in one of the TV shows, might have been Arrow, but he's basically the guy who disguises himself to take on the place of people who are targets of assassination. And he's like, uh, you know, just, but there was a Rick Springfield. Show as well. Yeah, I do. I do remember the Rick Springfield human target. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. In fact, Mark Valley ha- was the TV. That was a TV show with Jackie Earl Haley as his sidekick. Yeah, I'm fairly sure. I'm not mixing it up. It is the human target. And Rorschach was his sidekick. Yep, it was a good, a decent show. I mean, Mark Valley was at that time. Everyone was talking about Mark Valley being like perfect for Captain America, and you know, then he got into a comic book show. So I'm, I'm fairly confident of this. Yeah. I would go with Human Target. Yeah, let's uh, do that. Yeah, Christopher Chance or Human Target. I think I'm too young for the Rick Springfield show, and I never watched really the mm. Arrowverse, but I remember the Mark Valley one. That, I mean, I didn't watch yeah. it regularly, but it was entertaining, definitely. Yeah, that's one of those, like, the two Suicide Squad movies. The Rick Springfield series was the Human Target. The Mark Valley series was just Human Target. No Human the. Target. So no the. Yeah. Hmm. Another weird thing I remember from... The, the 80s in Dubai TV. There was a Rick Springfield animated series about Rick Springfield. I don't know if, again, if that was a fever dream or... That's but, uh, interesting. Yeah, early, early, early yeah, but, 70s, was it? Or like 75-ish? Yeah, I remember oh, what you're talking about. Well, we well, got it in the 80s, well, so it's likely in the like 70s. Banana, banana splits and Rick Springfield. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, yeah. So Banana Splits was recently rebooted as a horror movie aimed at adults for some reason. Wow. Yes. They just said that with Winnie the Pooh as well. Yeah. Well, what, well, yeah, Winnie yeah. the Pooh had fallen out, fallen, fell into the public domain, so they were able to reuse it. Oh. Whereas in the, Banana Splits, like the original creators had, or the owners of the IP had to sign off on it. But I guess wow. they, yeah. I guess they figured after like Five Nights at Freddy's did the whole thing of like making these cutesy characters into horror things. <laughs> they were like may as well get on the. Pretty crazy the if you think back then, you know, in the in the seventies, like how many like real life like actors and actresses got drawn into like animation, especially tied into like Scooby Doo. Yes, you know, like, exactly. Yeah. Jonathan Winters. 
I remember uh, yeah. Don Don Adams was on Scooby Doo. Yeah, uh, Harlem, Harlem Globetrotters. You know, got all drawn into Scooby Doo. Yeah, I always wanted to find that. I think they used to show it on the credits. It was like the Scooby Doo and Batman, you know, like crossover. And I, you know, of course, th- those days you didn't have YouTube or anything. But I saw saw the trailers. I mean, saw the saw it in the credits, but could never track that down, and that really mm-hmm. bummed me out. <laughs> yeah, I think they they revived the idea of having Scooby Doo crossover. I think even Jaleel White reprised the role of Urkel after repeatedly swearing wow. he would not to opposite Scooby Doo. Well, it was yeah. a, it was the addition of Scrappy that led to the immediate demise of the success yeah. of Scooby Doo. After that, it was all downhill from there. It's where they jumped the shark. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, but the the Mystery Incorporated series, which I mentioned on this podcast before, around 2011, definitely raised its reputation back. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the movies had an interesting take on that, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> directly from the controversy without giving too much away. <laughs> it's a scrap, scrappy do, yeah, scrappy do definitely turns up in the movies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Future Yogesh here. It turns out the Rick Springfield show did air in 1975, as Dave said. It was called Mission Magic, and somehow it's in the same fictional universe as the Brady Bunch. All right, Michael and Nikhil now to try and steal from Dave. According to The Simpsons' Martin Prince, the overlords of science fiction are Asimov, Clark, and what man who co-created two of Green Lantern's most persistent foes, Vandal Savage and Solomon Grundy? I don't know if he created Vandal Savage or Solomon Grundy, but I know Robert Heinlein was involved with a lot of comics stuff. He even did an un- like a, a Batman uh, series like episode which featured Two-Face but never aired or never got shot. Hi, future Yogesh again. Nikhil later informed me that the Batman script revolving around Two-Face that he was thinking of was actually by Harlan Ellison, not Robert Heinlein. I don't know if he would have created somebody as prominent as Vandal Savage and Solomon Grundy. Yeah, I mean, Heinlein is the first guy that you would put on that rank. I don't remember Heinlein doing any comics work, though. The guy that I can think of who was a big science fiction writer at that time who did write comics was Alfred Bester. I don't know that he created either of these characters. I just think like, I just think that when I think of the three greatest classic science fiction writers, I think of Heinlein, Asimov, and Clark. But Mm. I think if Heinlein had written comics, and particularly if he created two really prominent characters, that's the thing you would know. That's what's throwing me off. Like, you know, it's... I mean, Vandal Savage and Solomon Grundy are like, you know, yeah, big, those are major, so, those are major yeah. villains. If Heinlein had created them, I think we'd know that. Yeah. I mean, I know Heinlein did some comics, but I wouldn't have thought of him doing so much, something so big. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If, you know, if he had created two characters that prominent, mm-hmm. it's like, I would think we would know, we would just know yeah. that. It's like, yeah, of course, Heinlein created those characters. But it is co-created. So my yeah. thing... Well, co-created usually means there was a writer and an artist involved. That's mm. how they, they usually do yeah. that in comics. Yeah, I noticed when doing my research that pretty much all creators are basically at least two people because one yeah. creates the design and one creates yeah, the... Yeah, it's usually a writer and an yeah. artist. Yeah. And it's not somebody who might have got credit at the time, but they yeah. got credit later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, like well, Bill Finger, probably. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bob Kane used to stamp well, his thing on everything. He had like this factory yeah. of artists. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But just the fact that you say overlords, and, you know, Best is also a good one because first Hugo Award winner and all. 
but something keeps coming back to Heinlein for me. I don't know. It's just stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah, I I don't disagree. Like I said, those are the three. Those are the three big names. I just it's just like mm. if Heinlein had created those characters, we would know. We would know about it, right? Yeah, I mean we that's that's what's really it. bugging me. Because Heinlein's name has remained prominent. Or Bester was big in the in the fifties, but his name isn't like mm. as big now mm. as it was, you know, in science fiction circles then. I just feel mm. like if Heinlein had created Solomon Grundy and Val Vandal Savage, we would all know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's just I'm trying to think back to more of his comic book stuff. He's definitely got a background with that. Mm. So I, I know that for, I mean, I'm fairly sure of that, that, you know, that there used to be this comic book history blog huh. and Robert Heinlein kept coming up in that. But that's, but this is big. I mean, this is, if this is true, then this is huge. You know, Vandal Savage and Solomon yeah. Grundy. I think the original creator of like, okay, Solomon Grundy, a Green Lantern villain. So Martin O'Dell was the, but no. Robert Kaniger was Hawkman. I mean, if if you've got like if you're not feeling a hundred percent about Bester, no, I no. still offer up Heinlein. Let's do it, Heinlein. Yeah? yeah, yeah. Which one are you liking in? Heinlein. All right, Dave. I have. I'm sorry, but I have absolutely no guess. I'm familiar with Solomon Grundy, and I'm not even familiar with Vandal Savage. I should probably have a better reference. My wife is a huge Simpsons fan and you think that would trickle over to me and I would know this, but I, yeah, I have no guess on this. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, you I want to say, say a last name? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have nothing. Dronik. There you go. There's my reference. I'm going to, I mean, Michael's probably going to kill me if it turns out to be Bester. So, I'm <laughs> so, so the line from the Simpsons, guess. he specifically says, the ABCs of science fiction. Oh, boy. So, and Bester. Course, yeah. After he says Bester, another character says, what about Ray Bradbury? And he says, I'm familiar with his work. Oh, yes. <laughs> Classic. Bradbury time. was also, yeah, comics. Oh. But yeah, uh, Michael was right. It's Alfred Bester. I'm so sorry, Michael. Just uh, okay. should have gone to that. Your reasoning yeah. was absolutely right. I just and I the thing I, I the one thing I knew about Bester as opposed to some of the other people, Bester was a was prominently a comic book writer as okay. opposed to some of the others who kind of dabbled in it. Bester was a pretty well known comic writer. Nice, but that's still big. I mean, I've yeah. heard Bester's name. But I had no I idea about. I, I had no idea he created these two characters, though. Wow! Yeah, fun fact. All right, we're on Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. Debuting in The Flash 106 in 1959, what former rogue came out as gay in The Flash Volume 2, number 53 in 1991? Wikipedia notes that, quote, this was ironic as he was one of the few villains to have ever gone straight, end quote. I think this is the trickster, I think. Uh, I want to go with Captain Boomerang for the simple reason huh. that the irony is going straight when... Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with that. You're locking in Captain Boomerang? Yep. I see the logic there absolutely makes sense, but unfortunately it's not correct. Mikhail? This is one I know, and it was it becomes a pal of the Flash, even in the things. It's uh, it's the Pied Piper. Is that your answer? Uh, Hartley Rathaway. Hartley uh, yeah. I think that's I think Hartley Rathaway sounds right for the, yeah. the alter ego name. But yeah, Pied Piper. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Now Dave and Nikhil to try and steal from Michael, this is, I think, a very interesting fact this question is built around. 
After featuring William Sarnoff's son in her magazine Smash, What Woman broke a glass ceiling in 1976 when Sarnoff hired her at the age of 28 to be DC Comics' publisher. In 1981, she became DC's president, ordered the revamping of Wonder Woman's costume, and established the real-life Wonder Woman Foundation to celebrate Wonder Woman's 40th anniversary by providing grants to women 40 and older. Unless I'm mistaken, this could be Jeanette Kahn. Yeah, and I do... I... Well, there was another woman involved, but 1976 and yeah, 1981. She was definitely in the 80s for sure. So I would go with Jeanette Kahn. Yeah, I don't have a don't have a better reference. I would go with that as well. Yeah, that's your, that's your locking in. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Yes. Nice. Yeah, ground groundbreaking uh, woman <laughs> definitely. There's a quick bonus for Michael. Jeanette Kahn was responsible for changing the official name of her company or brand to DC Comics, which is how it had been known informally for years. But until 1977, the brand's formal moniker was a three-word phrase, abbreviated NCP or NPP. What did the N stand for? National. Yeah, National Comics. Yeah. Okay, so everyone gets points on that. And now we move to Michael and Nikhil trying to steal from Dave. So when... Bane escapes from Peña Duro prison in Santa Prisca and travels to Gotham City. He is accompanied by which three fellow prisoners, all with names derived from bands popular in the 1960s? Oh, three of them. So there is a bird. So I know so it'll be something like the birds, bird, beetle, and I don't know, bands in the 60s that were the somethings. Let's see. Who? Grateful Dead? Well, I was thinking more like, like plurals, like animal. Okay. Uh, so- animals. Animals, the um, but there's got to be a reason why he's asking for all three, so it would because if it was just like diverse bands, it hmm. it's the super hard round, it is the super hard round, yes. I don't know the storyline at all, so I, I can I can name bands popular in the 60s, I can't help you with which ones Ooh. apply to characters. Well, let's try going with that. The uh, say something, the well, yeah, if the, I'm on the right track. All right. Well, you start with, you know, obviously the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Who, the Kinks. We already talked about the birds. Um, yeah. So, so if we were to restrict it to animals. Okay. I just hope I'm right about bird. I don't know if, I think there was a bird for sure. Okay. Maybe not spelled the B-Y-R-D-S. So I'm not sure if. Uh... Uh, bands named after animals. That's a little tougher. Well, just to restrict it. Otherwise, yeah, just to... Uh, yeah. But well, well, there was the turtles, but not that big. Yeah. And yeah, well, uh, the turtles were... I mean, they were prominent, certainly. Yeah. We've already it. had a turtle, yeah. I was going to say, I, th- I think turtle, turtle was a flash a flash for villain, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think I've heard yeah. that somewhere. It's hard somewhere, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if it... Bird, animal, beetle sounds... Okay. But animal is... Uh, well, okay. Uh, he's not said U.S. bands, right? Animal is... He didn't okay. say U.S. bands. Yeah. Just the bands after the 60s. Okay, but, but bird and beetle are specific animals? Well, not really, I guess, bird. Yeah, bird's not that specific. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Unless unless I'm completely on the wrong track and they're, they're thinking about No, I think it would be the bands itself. So bird, beetle, and animal, maybe. I mean, those sound like names of guys who might have been in prison. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know the storyline, so... I really can't help should you. We, should, should we go with that then? Bird, sure. beetle, animal? Yeah. Sounds good to me. It's good. Bird, beetle, animal. Definitely three of my favorite bands from that era, but not collectively a correct answer. So I'll pass this to Dave. 
So in the Vengeance of Bane's storyline, I remember the characters when he breaks out and shows up in Gotham and he has like these sort of henchmen with him. I do remember one, I believe, did have a pet bird. So I would say the bird reference is probably one of them. Not Beatles. I'm trying to think of other bands from the 60s that would stand out. I don't think it's Rolling Stone. I think three very distinctive different types of henchmen where one one was seemed like more powerful. They all had their own very distinct traits. It's been, God, like 30 years since I picked up this comic, I think, since it came out in like, God, like the 90s, early 90s. I actually had the original version of this comic and uh, I remember it well. And it was in the whole Nightfall storyline later, but I just can't picture the names of it. 60s bands. Yeah, I'd say the Birds, I think it's the Kinks, nor the Beatles. I don't think of the other references. It'd be too early for the Eagles. I'm trying to think of other 60s bands. Uh, um, man, it was harder than one might think. Trying Just trying to think of the names of 60s bands when you were born in 67. Very difficult. Uh... God, I'll, I'll say the birds, the kinks, and God, I want to say the Rolling Stone. That's not going to be right. Yes. Go with that. Okay, uh, yes. Stones. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, so, I just so, remembered one more. It's zombie. I think it was the zombies. Yeah. I think so you're you, right. yeah you, both had, you both had bird correct, which I think is a reference to an American band. The other two were references to English bands, which were popular in the U.S. because of the whole British invasion thing. One of them was called Zombie, and the other was called Trog. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, bird, zombie, and Trog. Nice find. <laughs> you, you really... <laughs> Combed your uh, the universe for stuff that's definitely didn't the, trogs, didn't the trogs do wild thing. Yep, yep. wild yep. thing and and love and is love all is all around. Yes, yeah. which is in the movie Love Actually is what Bill Nye's character changes to Christmas is all around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great movie. And four weddings, yeah, yeah. Also, all right. So now Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. Former Miss Sweden, Sylvia Berg, appeared in the 1968 Batman episode, Surf's Up, Joker's Under, as a mole who shares what name with a type of water sprite first described in the writings of 16th century Swiss alchemist Paracelsus. This name was popularized by an 1811 novella by Frédéric de la Motte Fouquet, adapted into a 1939 Jean Girardot play that was produced on Broadway in English translation in 1954 and earned Audrey Hepburn the Tony in her EGOT. Nymph immediately comes to mind, but... Um, it wouldn't have been a water sprite that was first described in the 16th century. That goes back to ancient Greece. So we're looking for something more recent than that. So, so she was, uh, she, she was, sounds like she was like a henchwoman for the Joker. Yeah. Water sprite. I'm trying to think of what Audrey Hepburn might've been in on Broadway. That was a play that was translated from French to English. Tony Award, and it leans heavily towards French. Yeah, so I'm thinking. I need you to believe it's almost something like has Bell or um, yeah, Bella. something like yeah, yeah. It's going to be something in that in that vein. Colette, maybe. I don't think it's Gigi. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of French names that could have because since the name was popularized. What now that you mention it actually rings a bell like that? I think that's probably a really good guess. I don't know why that almost like rings a bell once you said it, but mm. shall we go with that? Yeah, 
let's right. let's do. Let's lock that in. What, what was it you were locking in again? Colette. Yeah, so that's interesting because mm-hmm. I, I think the second one DS I wrote for Murder League was about Audrey Hepburn, and the answer to the first question it was Colette because she had actually apparently, as I told the story goes, she basically spotted a completely unknown Audrey Hepburn and mm-hmm. declared that she was a perfect match for the character of Gigi, which was yeah. one of her first big successes on the stage. So you were definitely in the right area. Yeah. Colette, Colette shows up in the Audrey Hepburn biopic with Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> oh <also>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not a very faithful Not a great one. one. Yeah. No. But it had Emmy Rossum as a young audience. So, so you know great. what's funny is that there actually are two prominent, two later famous actresses who played the younger versions of Audrey Hepburn before she was played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Like kind of the middle one was Emmy Rossum. Do you remember who played the youngest version of... Uh, oh, no, actually. But I mean, it was uh, serious. It was Sarah Highland who later wow. played. Yeah, played. Uh, uh, Modern Family. Yeah. Yes. Am I suddenly blank? Uh, Haley, Haley on Modern Family. Right. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, that has okay. nothing to do with this question, but Sorry, it's yeah. fun, fun well, fact. I was trying to work this out, and I don't know what the play is exactly, but I was trying to think there was a Lace of Feed, which was a, a thing. Uh, so I do remember now vaguely there was a Batman in the, the TV series villain called Just the Sylph, S Y L P H. And I'm wondering whether the play was Sylphide. Sylphide's like the musical work also. Don't remember who composed that, but Sylph or Sylphide's. Probably the French. Is that your answer? Yeah, Sylph. Okay. I'm trying to look up who did the music for La Sylphide, and I thought it would be someone I'd heard of before, but the name that comes up is Jean Madeleine Schneitzhofer. Wow. I think there's a more famous yeah, La Sylphide, that, that... maybe? It sounds. Oh, um, um, let's see. There's. Oh, um, um, Fokine's La Sylphide, yeah. That music Fokine. is by, okay, but... is by uh, Chopin, orchestrated by Glazunov. Chopin, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. a more famous one, probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah, sorry, that was just, that was a tangent. So, <laughs> the, yeah, so Audrey, it's interesting because in her EGOT, her Emmy and her Grammy came posthumously, and her mm-hmm. Oscar and her Tony came very, at the right at the beginning of her career. <laughs> uh, it's a long time. Yeah, nothing in the middle. Her Oscar was for Roman Holiday. Her Tony, the play was actually called Ondine with an O, but it was adapted. Undine. It was adapted from a, a work called Undine with a U. Yes. Oh, now that you mention it. Yeah, I should have known that. Undine. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a bad miss. All right. So we're heading to the final trio of questions. Each one of you will get two chances to steal and one direct question. And so we'll start with Dave and Nikhil to try and steal from Michael. And score-wise, Nikhil has a pretty big lead, but Dave and Michael are close to each other. Okay, so a letter from reader Buddy Levine of Northbrook, Illinois, printed in Adventure Comics number 304, resulted in the 1963 creation of What Hero, who was rejected by the Legion of Superheroes in Adventure Comics 306, and promptly founded the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Ah, this is like, there was a matter interlad. I mean, the Substitute Heroes was always a funny one. With like, you know, all the guys who didn't have great powers. Or, oh, well, didn't have powers that were like maybe cool, like lightning or telepathy, etc. Oh, but I, I don't know if it was canonically Mata Eater Lad who... This is one where I'm working on the steel as well. Yeah. Yes. Dave and Nikhil okay. working together. I want to say Bouncing Boy immediately comes to mind. Yeah. Could be that as well. Although, yeah. That also sounds... I'm trying to think. But, was he was he just a member of the original Legion of Superheroes? I don't know that he, he was rejected. He could be, but I'm just trying to think if there's any clue in a letter from reader Buddy Levine. Is there something in the name Buddy Levine? Or well, 
they used to be these like really prolific readers who used to send in letters, like like PM Maple. <laughs> um, who else was there? And I'm not pulling any reference from the clue. As in, a letter resulted in the creation of the hero. Hmm. I wonder what he wrote in that would have. So he yeah, wrote a letter, and a letter, a hero was created as a result of his letter. Interesting. I wonder what he wrote in the letter that they made a hero out of it that was rejected. Hmm. I wonder if he suggested this hero, and then I, I think I think Bouncing Boy is a good selection because we talk about sixty-three fairly early on. I think Matt Italat came much later. Yeah, and I, I don't have a better guess. And then Bouncing Boy immediately came to mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a weird power. I mean, yeah. it's not like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'd go with that, actually. I'd go with Bouncing Boy. All right. Yeah. We'll love that in. Okay, that's fun. I'm trying to see if I can pull up the exact text of the letter he wrote. But while I do that, I'll pass this to Michael. Oh, what was their guess? Bouncing Boy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not Bouncing Boy because Bouncing Boy is a pretty prominent member of the Legion. I'm trying to think of who the characters are who are in the Substitute Legion. Color Kid, Night Girl, the Chemical King in the Substitute Legion. Uh, just because I like saying his name, I'm going to say Arm fa- Arms Fall Off Boy. <laughs> Is that an actual hero? I'm, yeah. assuming it, I'm assuming it is from the way you said it. it. Is. But yeah. The only thing I can find about the letter is pretty straightforward. It just says, I suggest a new character, Polar Boy, who has the power oh, of... Polar Boy, system. yes. That's the one I can think of, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was an interesting retcon later on that, I mean, based on the Legion of Substitute Heroes, that there was one guy who was like a shapeshifter who had to constantly think about that. And then he got rejected from the superheroes and even the substitute heroes rejected him. But then he willed himself into the headquarters of the Legion and he had to keep on doing that every day. And that was his power. And that's how they said the the Legion, which had like a, I think it was a rocket shaped thing. It's actually one of the rejects from the Legion of Substitute Heroes. But that was like done in the 80s. It was a much later kind of retcon. We're doing pretty well on time. Just out of curiosity, anyone know which was the first member of the Legion of Superheroes to be killed off? It might be Karate Kid. Like, uh, Karate well, Kid's... So I think, yeah. uh, at least according to my sword, I think Lightning Lad was killed off, but then it was revealed that he wasn't actually killed. Yeah. yeah. I think it was the same It was the same comic. In fact, they find Lightning Lad. But I'm thinking about 70s, so maybe not... Uh... The main original ones with Saturn Girl and Unel. Cosmic Boy. Cosmic Boy, Lightning Lad. And then Brainiac yeah. 5 came in there. Wasn't there a Shadow what? Lass? Shadow yeah, Lass, yes. yes. Her, Wait a minute. I, mean, I just, I just remember. Yeah. Oh, Feral Lad. Yeah, I, I really, yeah. I was looking forward to writing a question with the word ironically in it. As yeah. Ironically, okay. Feral Lad was the first. I, I think he, he sacrifices that. himself for... Yes. Yeah, didn't, his, didn't his uniform have the FE, the chemical yeah. symbol, yes, symbol for iron? It did. I think yeah. he had like kind of like it would look like an iron mask to me, which yeah. is right. yep. yes. was, so uh, according to my research, in a 2003 interview, Jim Shooter claimed that he killed this character off because he wasn't able to go through with his original plan to have the character be black. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, we mm-hmm. could have revealed it because the costume was, I don't think, gave anything away. Right. He just, just showed say. his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> It won an award for the lamest costume ever, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So penultimate question now, Michael and Nikhil to try and steal from Dave. 
During my time at USC Film School, my then girlfriend and I befriended Peter Bonners, who I will talk more about in the next episode of this podcast, but I recognize him from his 70s sitcom role as an orthodontist on The Bob Newhart Show. The character that he played on The Bob Newhart Show shares a first and last name with what artist and early collaborator of Bob Kane and Bill Finger, who is credited with designing the original Robin. Jerry Robinson. Jerry Jerry Robinson. Robinson. Okay, yes, that's definitely right, yeah. Jerry Robinson. For the the Batman part, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Just uh, honest. Jerry Robinson claims to have drawn inspiration for designing Robin from illustrations of Robin Hood by what patriarch of an American painting dynasty? This is for Dave, right? Yeah, for Dave. Okay. Uh, could you repeat the question again, please? Well, it's in the it's in the chat. Jerry Robinson claims to have drawn inspiration in designing Robin Hood uh, in designing Robin from illustrations of Robin Hood, I think from a 1917 Paul Kresic book, by which patriarch of an American painting dynasty? would have drawn Robin Hood and references to Robin Hood in art, an American painting dynasty. Oh, man, nothing's coming to mind. Yeah, his son and grandson were both famous painters as well. Uh, Getting that, but uh, I'm sorry, the only thing I can think of is Rockwell, and I'm sure that's not right, so... Although Norman, Norman Rockwell's son did write the book How to Eat Fried Worms, which was a favorite of mine when I was a kid. <laughs> but, and his uh, granddaughter is also famous now in a different field, right? Like, was it great granddaughter or great granddaughter who did the translation work for, for the Tomb of Sand, which won the, the International Booker Prize? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, cool. But yeah, this is a patriarch. The patriarch would be N.C. Wyatt. N.C. Wyatt. Wyatt. Yeah, Christina's yeah. world. Right. His, his son. I mean, that's uh, Andrew Wyatt. Yeah. Yeah, his son painted Christina's world, but yeah, mm-hmm. he he was mentored by Howard Pyle, oh. who also wrote a famous account of Robin Hood. But I guess he illustrated his own Robin Hood. Nice. But yeah, so that was a penultimate question. So now this is the final question of the game, or if there's a bonus, that will be the final question. But this is for Dave and Michael to try and steal from Nikhil. Yeah. Okay. So this man took over editing the fanzine Alter Ego from Jerry. Bales. While at Marvel Comics, he co-created such iconic characters as Carol Danvers, Wolverine, Vision, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ultron, and Morbius. In 1972, he succeeded Stan Lee as Marvel's editor-in-chief, but he was eventually lured away to DC, where he fulfilled a lifelong dream of resurrecting the Justice Society of America by creating All-Star Squadron. Name him. Roy Thomas. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut, but I think Michael would have got it with his Marvel I, I, knowledge. I would, I had, that would have yeah. done this one anyway. Yeah. 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 I did notice Nikhil saying it, and I thought about rewriting the question on the fly, but Nikhil had a really big lead going into that question, so I was like, not even... I didn't need anything any, anything after Alter Ego, because Alter he, Ego, still, yeah. he still edits a magazine called Alter Ego. Oh, yeah. well, I did notice yeah. when, when looking it up that the magazine still exists, but yeah. I did uh, It's published by Tomorrow's Publications. It's interesting. In All-Star Squadron, I think he has like somebody write a book called Alter Egos or Alter Ego about like, you know, writing about the 40s superheroes and everything in there in retrospect. I mean, I, I love this stuff. I mean, All-Star Squadron is my favorite by far. I used to, you know, all the 40s stuff was really good. Yeah, Tomorrow's publishes a lot of stuff on like comics history. They publish Alter Ego. They publish Back Issue, which covers comics from the 70s and 80s. They published the Jack Kirby Companion. They publish a lot of books on comic artists and comic history and stuff. They publish tons of comics history related things. But Roy Thomas still edits hmm. Alter Ego. I, I considered kind of rewriting the question so Alter Ego was the answer line. And then I was like, I don't know, is that obscure? Clearly yeah. for Michael, it's clear for Michael it's not. So. <laughs> Neither <laughs> would be. I think in that question after Alter Ego. 
Uh, all right. So, I mean, this isn't really going to decide anything, but let's just fit in one more question for Nikhil. One of Roy Thomas's signature achievements was authoring what line of comics that debuted in 1970 and was illustrated by Barry Smith. It centered on a literary character who first appeared in Weird Tales in 1932. Ah, oh, well, there were a few who did. Hmm... Okay, so you're saying he first appeared in Weird Tales as in like anywhere in 1932, or do you mean I, just like... I believe that's correct. Okay, got it. 32. Hmm. I was thinking about Dracula, but obviously not. I think what else Roy Thomas did? Uh, Fu Manchu was all on the Marvel side. Uh, since you still say literary character, I'll, I'll stick with Dracula. Yeah, I think, yeah, Dracula, I think, was created or first appeared in the 1890s, and it looks like Michael knows the answer. Tony and the Barbarian. Of course. Yes. Howard, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. He Should also, have... he brought in characters like Red Sonia, which had been fairly minor in Robert Howard's writings and made them more nice. prominent. Yeah. Unless you're Bridget Nielsen. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. the comics Red Sonia, which Roy Thomas created, really is unlike the Howard character at all, except in name. Hmm. They're completely different. I remember the illustrations. Name, I, not really the character. I couldn't remember Barry Smith specifically, but yeah, the, Barry the artwork Smith was how he was. Yeah. How he? Oh, Barry Windsor Smith, comic. right? Yeah, but when he I first think he started did, comics, he was just Barry Smith. Yeah, I think he did Swamp Thing also later on. Yeah, he did. He did a lot of yeah. a lot of stuff, but yeah. But it was like a very awesome style, like almost like uh, trying to think, like who's the guy who did the Tarzan drawings, like back in the day? That was. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was the author. You mean that? The, 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 there was an artist, like there was a a, a famous artist who. Uh, he had a very, no, before Frazetta. I mean, this is more okay. like you know, he used to do all the things like the Tarzan illustrations, and a lot of people learn based on his methods, like of like drawing anatomy and things. And Conan, mm. of course, was very. Uh, I, I remember the this, name. I know this because I was super into Tarzan when I was a little kid. Yeah. Like read all yeah. the books and. Yeah, Frazetta did do some Tarzan illustrations, mm-hmm. but I, I think guess that's not here. Something would be that'll come to me later, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, Barry Smith. I mean, I don't know anything really about Barry Smith, but that would be a fun question to ask us to see if people will guess Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. So that's the end of the game. The score, I'll, I'll go back and recheck everything, but the scores are Nikhil wins with 45.3 points. Followed by Michael at 36.3 and Dave. Still a fairly high score, 32.0. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. So well, uh, thanks thanks to uh, you guys saving my butts on the steel question. I mean, yeah, no, it was I feel, I, feel, I feel totally helpless in my knowledge of anything other than the Batman universe after <laughs> doing this. So, I mean, it's funny because you go through these periods in your life and like, you know, I read read comics a lot and did a lot of like New Teen Titans and obviously Batman and Green Lantern and not as much Justice League, but like Legion of Superheroes I was really into. This would have been like late 70s, early 80s when I was in junior high. And then like kind of still not as much continued, but kind of got back into comics in the early 90s. And then my kids were born and that just like totally changed everything. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a different world by then. Yeah. Yeah, 25, 30 years later i'm completely lost in anything that's happened in that 25 to 30 year period so um yeah without original knowledge of stuff that i read back in the day anything newer i'm lost so i feel pretty helpless after all this <laughs> right so uh, basically you know all three of you can make a final statement it can be about anything about the game about the world at large about anything you want to plug anything that's on your mind unless it's overly long or offensive in some way it'll be <laughs> It'll be kept in, and we'll go in descending order of scores, so the third-place finisher gets the last word. So let's start with Nikhil. Well, I mean, nothing specific to say. I just love the fact 
that, you know, all of this is, like you mentioned, this isn't stuff that is your comfort zone or necessarily something you're interested in. And I love that a lot of things came up that, you know, I've grown up probably squirreling away back in the day for a later date. And I'm so happy that happened. It's just great. I mean, I love the, I've seen a few of your episodes and yeah, it's good to actually be on this side of it. And, you know, especially in a topic that I feel quite comfortable with and with people who are also. So it's very nice. I mean, I, I was really, I really enjoyed that and really look forward to watching more and being part of more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, hopefully you'll come back fairly soon in a different topic episode. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right. Michael? Kids, kids, read your comics, draw comics, write comics, support comic artists and writers, not the people creating stuff using some app, the people who are drawing comics with their own hands writing them with their own brains, support comic creators, read comics. Yeah, as, uh, we, yeah, we've discussed before, there's, there's a gap between labor and management in many different domains, and people can perhaps put their efforts into amplifying the voices of those on the side of labor, as opposed to allowing the other side to dominate the conversation. All right, Dave? Yeah, I, I would agree with read comics and expand your imagination. And yeah, I actually was a very active artist all through high school. I actually started oh. my freshman year of college as an art major. That was my goal. I was going to be a comic book illustrator. And um, yeah, obviously life took me in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, it's a whole new world and it expands your imagination. Heavily recommended. I, I just really enjoyed being on the show. Yeah, you guys are fantastic with your knowledge. I appreciate how much I learned from both of you as fellow contestants. Really good stuff. Yeah. And like I said, I just am uh, surprised at how, uh, yeah, some of the questions were pretty fantastic. And I was expecting more, uh, I guess, a lot more simple stuff like, you know, what's Deathstroke's secret identity sort of thing, you know, but uh, hey. Slade, no. not Wade. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the time. Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah. And I, uh, I enjoyed learning about this entire world, which I know virtually nothing about as a result of pursuing all of the, the topics you supplied me, you all supplied me with. Yeah, that was fun. Um, and like I said, maybe another, you know, a Marvel themed one at some point in the future. Who knows? All right. So. Oh, I remember the name of the, uh, the artist. It's Bern Hogarth. Ah, yeah. He's the one who's like, yeah, a lot of the drawing of anatomy and all that. And I'm yeah. pretty sure he did Conan at, Conan at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This has been episode three of season three of Recreational Thinking with Yoga Shrout. Thanks for listening.